this is a family podcast. <laughs> Since when? I mean, yes, it is because you ship all the incest, then. but. <laughs> Welcome back to my Listen Guys, a monthly podcast about BBC's Marlin, where we talk about the show, the ships, the fandom, and the characters. My name is Momotastic. And I'm Miss Snowfox. And today we're back for you with another episode review, and we're so close to the end of the second season already. We're on episode 8 today, The Sins of the Father. And to help us discuss this, we have two guests who are Archaeologist D. Hi! And Über dem Nebelmeer also known as Marky. Hello. 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 <laughs> Melissa and veterans at this point. Yes. We love them both. Yes. <laughs> and before we get into anything else, let's hear some news. After Kamlan Big Bang has announced its return for 2020, the schedule has been posted and signups have already begun. Camelot Remix is also back for another round. Sign-ups have begun and will end on the 25th of February. The Glomfest claiming period is nearly over. Claiming ends on the 19th of February. And that has been it for news. Which means now we have time for a talkback. And this is a talkback by Jillian, who commented on our episode review of The Witchfinder. Jillian was agreeing a lot with us, which we always like when people do that. <laughs> and at the end, they told us a little more about something that we were wondering about while we were doing the... Well, I was mostly wondering while we were doing the episode review. That is on the topic of Belladonna. And Jillian says... I'm sure others have already commented on this, they haven't, but Belladonna was in fact used by women to get pretty eyes, according to Wikipedia. Uh, Linnaeus, I'm assuming this is how it's pronounced, Linnaeus chose the species named Belladonna, beautiful woman in Italian, in reference to the cosmetic use of the plant during the Renaissance, when women used the juice of the berries and eye drops intended to dilate the pupils and make the eyes appear more seductive. This use was known already in Roman times. And, I mean, you know, it makes sense. I, I could have used the very little Italian that I know to deduce that Bella Donna means beautiful woman, but, well... <laughs> you didn't. I, I didn't. <laughs> I mean, thank you for the history lesson. I, I always appreciate it, and I like that, you know, we sometimes have these little historical tidbits in Merlin and I mean I mean it sounded legit to me when it was in the episode I was like yeah like I can see that being something that a medieval woman would do like they probably did all sorts of like yeah. things beauty things that we maybe wouldn't do anymore so yeah like like I could totally get that I mean honestly the whole dilating the pupils or making the eyes like shiny or whatever was the only explanation I could think of that would you know make sense to make it look more beautiful so I'm glad that what my instinct was telling me could be the only possible thing was actually the truth. So, yay. All right. If you want to leave us a comment and then have us talk about it, 
You can do this on our website on merlison.paracaproductions.com. You can also just type Merlison into Google. It should come right up. If you leave your comment on the website, we will probably talk about it on the show unless it's something we have already talked about many times. If you don't care either way whether we react to your comment on the show, you can leave it in a bunch of other places where we then will react to it in that place. So, for example, you have Tumblr, where we're also Merlisten, where you can leave your comment in the replies or in the tags or in a reblog, in a reblog, in a reblog. You can tweet at us at Merlisten. You can email us at merlisten.podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes, where you can rate and review our episodes. We have a Discord, to which you can find the invite link on our website, or you can just come ask Rox or me for it. We have a Merlisten Bingo, which you can play, where, you know, because we have become very predictable and we like to repeat ourselves a lot of times, (laughs) so now you can play along. And once you have a bingo, you can even win a little prize. And to find more, find out more about that, you can check our Tumblr. And finally, we do have a Ko-fi page. So if you feel like you want to, you know, tip us a little bit of money for the work we put into this podcast and just, you know, show us your appreciation in a way that helps us buy coffee or chocolate <laughs> or, you know shock blankets <laughs> then you can or therapy <laughs> i don't think we can expect our listeners to donate so much that we can afford therapy from it anyway if if you want to give us some money you can do so on kofi and you can find us by going to kofi website and searching for melissa or again we have all the links on our website and i think that's all the places awesome so now, finally, Sins of the Father, episode eight of season two. Let's hear what the Merlin Wiki things happened in this episode. <laughs> Thanks. Yes. <laughs> do you want me to read it or do you want to read it? I, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna okay. read it. <laughs> Go for it. When a mysterious warrior challenges Arthur to a duel, no one could possibly predict the devastating chain of events that is set in motion least of all the young prince himself. Arthur and Merlin soon find themselves on a strange quest at the behest of the beautiful Morgos. Through her, Arthur discovers a dark secret which threatens to bring about the downfall of the kingdom. It's actually pretty accurate. Right? I'm surprised! <laughs> it's very surprising. The only thing that irks me is whenever they refer to them as Arthur and Merlin rather than Merlin and Arthur. I'm like, that's the correct way to say it! They're they're going in alphabetical order, and also Arthur is, you know, higher in the hierarchy than Merlin. Well, I mean, whatever. (laughs) That's just your opinion, (laughs) man. It is, it is. So this this episode aired on the 14th of November in 2009. There are four female characters with lines. Can you believe it? Four! There's Gwen, Morgana, and Morgos, and then there is also Igraine, or the ghost of Igraine, or whatever. I mean, it is actually Igraine, as we find out later in the show, because they use the same actress, so we assume, you know, yeah. that's what she actually looked like. Yeah. yeah. And then we have six male characters with lines, which at least is not that many more than we usually do. So there are Arthur, <laughs> Merlin, Guys, Uther, and Leon, and then there's also Joffrey of Monmouth. 
And the enemy or monster of the week is Morgos, of course. <laughs> yes. Indeed. And no one dies. I mean, no. apart, apart from the five guards that Morgos yeah. mows down on her way to the castle. <laughs> yeah. Apart from those five nameless guys. <laughs> All right. Overall impressions of the episode. Oh, um, I, actually, I loved yes. it. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was terrific. The, there was so much backstory going on in it. Um, we introduced new characters. Uh, I love the dynamic with Arthur and Uther. It was great. Yeah, it's a. I mean, this is a fandom classic, so there's very... I feel like it. sometimes watching these fandom classic episodes, you get bogged down by all of the times you've heard it spoken about and all the times that people have referenced it and how many times you've personally watched it but it's pretty solid there's not really much filler in here like I can count maybe a couple of moments that I could have definitely done without um they're pretty much just kind of uh comedic filler and I could have been like yeah okay but it's actually pretty tight. I mean, it, it's weird because when I think of my, like my favorite episodes of Merlin, this one doesn't always necessarily make the list. But I think that that's for me, I, I think it's because I don't really understand Morgoza's motivation and I don't like it when I don't understand a character's motivation. And I know that that is probably part of the point of this episode. But I think we've had this conversation before where we're like, what was she hoping to achieve by doing this? Like, you know, if Arthur kills Uther, Arthur will become king. And, I, you know, like, what does Morgos want? I think having a villain that just shows up to cause chaos is, like, okay if you're in a Disney movie or something. But it's just for actual, you know, quote-unquote serious television, I'm just like, no. Like, you need to give me a reason. Like, even Nimue had, like, a plan. Like, like had, like, a point to what she was doing because she hated Uther. Like, she had a personal thing. Morgos like do we like you know she she's too young to have known Uther when she was you know when the purge was happening so what was the point I mean I think that Morgoza's motivation because she was trained by the priestesses of the old religion I would yeah. assume that she trained under Nimoy at some point Ooh, what do you think I mean it would make sense to yeah. me they mm -hmm. also they have a similar fashion style so <laughs> true um, <laughs> Either that's just the uniform for priestesses of the old religion, or Morgos literally tried to imitate Nimue. I don't know. Just just that Morgos did it better. Um, <laughs> and I would assume that she learned from Nimue just to hate Uther, basically. Just just hate him. You know. Yeah. Um, and just be like, uh, he is bad for people who use magic. So therefore, he needs to die. And I mean, there is this scene just before Igraine or the ghost of Igraine or whatever we want to call it um, appears where Arthur is like, well, maybe magic isn't always used for, for evil. You know, where Arthur is already considering that maybe magic isn't so terrible. So Mogos might, I mean, this is all just me headcanoning, but Mogos might have hoped to be able to influence Arthur even Maybe. more, because she's already yeah. trying to, to manipulate and influence him by showing him um, Igraine and hear him, let him hear all the things that this apparition has to say. And she had hoped to manipulate him into killing Uther, and then she would have probably hoped to manipulate him further, to influence him further towards 
you know, um, letting magic become legal or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but, um, actually, yeah. I would like to say that Morgos didn't hear Arthur say that magic wasn't evil. He was telling no, that to Merlin. I mean, she so hon- honestly, honestly, I'm not sure she didn't hear any of that because I I forgot what Merlin's reply was. But the way it it cut to her looking at him, like at Merlin, right after Merlin said it, to me yeah. as a viewer, it implied that she at the very least heard Merlin. If she could hear Merlin, who wasn't speaking any louder than Arthur was, she probably also heard Arthur. Yeah, but also like she could have, like you said, Alex just wanted to influence him even even before that. But I mean, I think that Morgos is a really interesting character. Like. I, I really like her introduction and everything. I just think that for me, there were a couple of loose ends in the episode that kind of frustrated me a little bit, like just mostly with her motivation. But I think that like, it's an interesting, you know, we always complain about this, but it's a very interesting placement in the season, this episode, because, you know, you have this, um, uh, really magic centric storyline about, you know, magic being used, uh, for good or for evil or or whatever. And the episode before that, we've had the Witchfinder and Gaius. I mean, I'll mention it when we get to it, but he just outright admits to Uther that he like smuggled a child to the Druids. And Uther has like had nearly had him executed the episode before, and he's just like, yeah, it's whatever, babe. I don't really care. <laughs> just like, what the fuck is going on? I'm so confused. So yeah, this I definitely feel like with the build up we've had, and you guys know how how much I like all of the prequel stuff. So this is like in terms of that side of things, I love this. I love all of the Uther Gaia stuff. I love all the mystery aspect to it. I love that we don't actually know if that was really a grain. To this day, fans are still debating like was that actually her or was it more goes? And I guess we can actually discuss that when we get to the scene. Yeah. But all that stuff. I really, really liked. Obviously, the fight between Uther and Arthur is one of the best scenes that we've ever gotten in Merlin. It's absolutely incredible. I just think that it's a bit wasted on being kind of like a... It's not even a mid-season point. It's just kind of episode eight, I guess. Yay! And then it's forgotten about. And it's such a shame because this... I feel like the way they built up to it over two seasons, like we've had... First mention of it in Mark of Nimue, we had Excalibur devoted to it. We had um, many kind of, you know, hints at what happened and it was made out to be this huge deal. And then it was just kind of made like into this big explosive argument. And then it had no repercussion on the rest of the show. Really, the only time that it's ever brought up again is when Uther dies and it's when Arthur then says I've lost both my parents to magic so I felt like they just kind of did such a good job building it up and then they just that was it okay I guess that's done now we can move on to making Morgana evil and it's just like okay like this actually could have been really important for Arthur's character development but I guess we won't do that then <laughs> which is a which is a shame what do you think Marky what uh what were your thoughts on the episode like just well, overall I, I love this episode like despite its flaws and one of its flaws is the ending like i really don't like the ending mm-hmm. because we're back at square one as you said this this build up and then at the end of it that's the usual rigmarole without the saying you know 
uh, magic has no place here, it's evil and blah 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 and all of that. And then he's back to, you know, joking with his father and having a nice relationship with him, let's say. Uh, but it's like they're dismissing everything that happened just two minutes before that. Yeah. It's like it has no consequence and it's just stupid and I hate it. But mm-hmm. except for that, I really like this episode. As Diane said, there's a new character introduced. We get to know more about what happened, um, uh, about the circumstances of Arthur's birth. And we have new uh, tidbits of information about what made the purge happen. Um, yeah, it's a very interesting episode. Very interesting like it, yeah. indeed. Does anyone else have any overall thoughts before we get carried away and just talk about the episode in general? Or should we get into the scene by scene? Oh, well, I w- just want to say, yeah. uh, Rox, you talk about people don't always... Uh, value chaos for chaos but there are people that will do things just to bring chaos to that is true that is true i know that the joker is one of those characters and so on and so forth i just think that like in a show that's so kind of like because the 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 struggles in this show are so personal like everything that goes wrong in merlin is a result of something that already happened before so I and like because it's kind of a show about fate and destiny, I just feel as though when you've had a villain like Nimue who did have such personal stakes to kind of hinge the big reveal of the season of Arthur finding out the truth on a character that showed up that same episode that has no connection seemingly to any of the to anything just felt a bit. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but I really like Amelia Fox's more go. So I'm very, like I'm very happy to forgive, you know, a multitude of sins with that character because I think she just does such a great job. She she really just makes her like seem really regal, like in a way that Michelle Ryan just couldn't with Nimue, in my opinion. And I think Nimue is the more interesting character in terms of her backstory, but I think Amelia Fox's performance definitely blows out of the water in terms of the villain um, character for season two. Yeah. Also, with regards to villains or um, antagonists who show up and cause chaos just for the sake of chaos, we have that, for example, in season three with the Goblin episode, and where like we don't need a reason for why this goblin is doing that he's doing it because yeah, he's a goblin right that yeah, that's, that's literally yeah. his entire sense of being Gaius even explains this so we we yeah. definitely we can have these episodes where where antagonists show up just to cause havoc Katrina Katrina, <laughs> well, yeah, Katrina for example yeah exactly the and there's there's also something to be argued over whether a show that is as I want to say tight as Merlin, where you only, I mean, you only get 13 episodes in a series and you're trying to tell a story in these 13 episodes. So there's a question whether you actually need these um, lighter or filler episodes with a, with a chaos causing antagonist just for the laughs, you know, know, just kind of, I would have, I would have preferred a more, if, uh, or should I okay. say a less episodic okay. style anyway, um, like where one flows into if, another. If this, if Sins of the Father had become a double episode, I would have liked that if they had given us 
actual flashbacks to what it was actually like so that yes. we as the at yes. least we as the audience would know whether the egrain that showed up was the real egrain yeah. or not because honestly it sucks that we don't know <laughs> Like, I kind of like I, it. In a, way. I, in a way, I like it, but also the person, like the the part of me that just wants certainty of these things. Yeah. It's just <laughs> I wish it. Like I like that Arthur can't ever be sure, or that Merlin can't ever be sure. You know, yeah. but I, as the viewer, I want to be sure. <laughs> I want true. to know one way or the other. And I was thinking this while while I was watching the episode, how nice it would have been to have a scene or two that showed us what it was actually like back then so that we could see whether this Egraine is the real Egraine and whether she was telling the truth because I mean we'll get to that when we when we get to the to the scene I have thoughts on the realness of her yeah overall we all like the episode which is great and I, I mean, that kind of was expected. Like I said, it's a fandom classic, you know, for the character stuff and for the shippy stuff and for the emotional stuff. It's all very good. And shall we get into it? Yes. So you actually have a scene before I do, Alex, because I didn't talk about the very first moment because it just didn't have any interest for me. So you can go ahead. The very um, first oh, one right. Yeah. The one with the ominous beginning. Um, where we have Morgos looking into the crystal and saying some very interesting, oh, well, <clears throat> some very cheesy lines. Like, honestly, the battle for your soul is about to begin. It's just... <sighs> there, are, there are a couple of lines in this episode where I just basically slapped my palm against my forehead because I was like, seriously? <laughs> That's the dialogue you went with? But the battle for your soul is about to begin. It's very high up there. Yeah, that is true. It's, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I would expect nothing less from what goes, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> She's very extra. You can tell that her and Arthur are siblings, can't you? It's, I mean, you know, whatever, like, step half. I'll get to that, too, by the yeah. way. I've got, yeah. I've got a whole section about the two possible family lines here, because there are two different options that we've got, but that's later. Um, so, the one where Uther is Uncle Ben is the one that I've called next, because he literally says the words, with great power comes great responsibility. Like, he actually says those words in the scene. <laughs> and I just was like, did I really just hit... Okay, okay, whatever, whatever. Um, I like this scene. I really like the contrast between Morgos mowing down the uh, guards outside and Uther knighting these um, uh, nameless knights uh, that are very, very important, of course. I mean, no, that they have names, but they are yeah. of absolute... No I do like, what, with regards to the contrast, I do like that... She actually is mowing down the guards outside while Uther talks about honor and nobility and, yeah. you know, um, upholding <laughs> these values. And she just goes in and just basically cuts them down left and right. Exactly. Um, so actually, I have a question about why does Morgos have to kill those people? Quite honestly. Yes. Can't she ask to see Arthur? What's up with that? I think she did it because otherwise she would have had to reveal she's a woman before then and she was waiting for the dramatic moment where she could take off her helmet and shake out her hair. Her beautiful golden like, hair. Like she was in a, you know, in, in one of these 
motorbike commercials where it's like, how does her hair look so amazing after being trapped under a helmet for the last five hours? To be honest with you, it's a, I actually really like this reveal. Also, I feel like it's one of those things where even though we've just seen her, I don't think you actually expect it to be her when you're watching it for the first no, time. No, you definitely don't which expect I, it to yeah. be her. Yeah, which I really like, actually. Um, everything is just kind of turned on its head. Arthur is kind of thrown off Uther's thrown off she, you know he picks up the challenge obviously um but I love uh, but but before that there's a really nice moment of Uther praising Arthur he's like my son embodies all of these traits so if you follow him you will become the best knight possible and it's just we rarely get to see Uther just outright praising his son in front of people he's usually yeah. criticizing him so that's really sweet they really kind yeah. of crossed a crossed a bridge there but um yeah so i mean what a way to start the episode really just you know my name is more goes and then we have the shot of morgana to kind of you know tell us that that's going to be important information and you know that she might have um but i mean i guess my i would love to know what morgana is feeling in that moment because she like she says she feels yeah. as, though, as though she knows more goes from somewhere and you can definitely feel that she's feeling a connection to her as soon as she lays eyes on her but i mean I don't know about you. I don't know if this is something that humans actually feel. Like I, like, like she's just seen her. Like she's not even had a conversation with. Like, really? I mean, <laughs> unless she knew the name. Like maybe she remembers hearing the name or goes when she was little. I don't know. I mean, in this yeah. case, we can trace it just back to magic that she that, is, that, yeah. that, that yes. she could that she could just. Like, she doesn't understand what she's feeling, but she can sort of sense the magic in Morgos and how it's yeah. how it's familiar to her own magic. I guess, and she just yeah, yeah. she just doesn't understand what the connection is. So she's like, she seemed familiar. And it's like, yeah, that, that's just... I, yeah. No, I could totally buy that, actually. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I didn't even think of the magic uh, connection there. So, yeah, actually, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I but, just uh, thought she looked, she looked really, really confused when Morgos shows up. So... Yeah. <laughs> Um, it could also it could also be Morgana being like, hell yeah, lady knight, that's what I want to be. <laughs> I honestly, this is what Morgana should have been. I'm just really sad about the lack of Arthur and Morgana training montages in this show. <laughs> I needed it so badly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's uh, it's a, actually just in general the opening to this episode. Um, you sometimes in Merlin we have like quite slow openings like not I don't want to say like boring not not boring at all but uh, they we don't have like a quick succession of like very short scenes and like from here to them actually when they're actually at the arena uh it's very short amount of time like I actually didn't note down how many minutes but the scenes like they're very short and very quick like it's kind of like bum 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 and there's and there's a lot of them so the pacing it's super quick. You don't really have a chance to kind of get your bearings, you know, just like, oh, it's more goes. Oh, they're fighting. And then it kind of slows down a bit, which is uh, which is really nice. But um, yeah, it's a really strong opener. Uh, Marky, did you have any thoughts on the opening? Like you said pretty much what I jotted down in my notes. So I didn't think I'm going to add anything. <laughs> cool. um, so the one with the moral dilemma, uh, you've got Jeffrey uh, and Uther and Arthur kind of um, f figuring out what the hell's going on because they've never had a woman throw them a challenge before. What I like about this scene actually is that Uther actually, you know, turns to Arthur and he's not really giving him a lecture the same way that Merlin is of like, oh, 
she's a woman maybe you shouldn't fight her and arthur is thinking oh if i kill her then i'll be the person that killed the female knight uther's actually like no she might kill you (laughs) i I love how i love how uther goes we don't know anything about this woman as a reason for arthur not to fight her and i'm just like you wouldn't have known anything about a man either like it doesn't make any difference that she's a woman I think, though, it kind of throws a spanner in the works in the sense that, you know, whatever, like, however strong she is, you know, they probably don't see many female knights. So, you know, they kind of know what to expect with a male knight. Like, yes, this we understand. (laughs) But not only is she strong, (laughs) not only is she strong and a knight, but she's also a woman. So it's like, well, not only is she dangerous, but what? But we just don't get this. (laughs) Listen, they, they just they just weren't asking the lesbians at court because the lesbians totally get it. Yeah, I mean, we all get it. Everyone present gets it. But it's just, yeah, not uh, not really something that they can wrap their heads around. But yeah, I love that Uther just kind of comes out more with the logic than anything. It's like, no, she just killed five knights. You need to be careful, which is really cool. Um but yeah, they are in a bit of a sticky situation because Arthur kind of, you know, rightfully so, you know, at the time it was kind of, you know, uh, men were kind of taught to protect women and whatever. So what do you do if you're in that kind of society where at the time women are still very much seen as kind of more physically weak than men and kind of less capable or whatever, you know, like, what do you do when a woman throws down a challenge? Do you go with your honor or do you go with a different kind of honor, which is what you've been taught to like how to behave like your code of honor kind of only relates to other dudes so what do you do in this situation and i think it's kind of like interesting um i don't know what would happen in real historical situation if a female knight actually did uh, lay down a challenge obviously this is merlin so they kind of got away with doing it their way but i don't know maybe i mean diane you're kind of also a bit of a history nut so i don't know what you think about this this is quite I interesting have no idea <laughs> i honestly have no idea what they would have done I don't even, there must have been female knights in some way. Somewhere. I don't, somewhere. uh, Definitely not in Europe. (laughs) I don't think so. Well, I I, the the Romans had the Amazon uh, Mm. myth or Mm -hmm. legend or whatever you want to call it. So there has to be something. And the the Vikings had the Valkyries. That's right. um, The thing is, Arthur, Arthur knows that women can fight well. Like, he has grown up with Morgana. He has seen her fight. He knows that women are capable of fighting. So, and I think so does so does Uther. Like, he might not like knowing that Morgana is able to fight, but I'm sure he does know. And he probably even taught her himself a little bit just to make sure that she could always defend herself. Um, so, Uther is wary because he he has an inkling that Morgos is definitely capable of hurting Arthur, especially because she did just kill five guards without even breaking a sweat. And Arthur is just, we can already see this. Arthur is coming, um, like from this point that you described rocks where he's like, well, I was, I was taught to protect women, not fight them. But also he's a little bit, I f- like I feel like we can already see this. He's a little bit arrogant, where he's like, "Well, I can't fight her because I would kill her, and then, w- then you know, I would break my vow, my vow to protect them." So that's there, there's a certain um, arrogance in there, you know. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I mean, 
yeah <laughs> which he says as much to merlin you know he's like you know if i if i uh, break my word i'm a coward but if i kill her what then and it's actually merlin that <laughs> turns around to him and is like well well no like i don't think he's coming at it from the point of view like i don't think he believes that she'll overpower him i think he think so he says that because arthur's never fought a woman before his judgment might be impaired and so he might actually be weakened mentally and he might doubt himself and and uh, hold back and then that's how she'll gain the advantage which again is i think fair i think arthur you know could do that i mean you know we kind of see him do it he gives her a chance to pick up her sword where he could have just run her through so he does kind of give her an out where where maybe he wouldn't have given one to a different opponent so that's fair but um yeah merlin is just kind of playing devil's advocate um which is uh which is really funny to me (laughs) um and i i just kind of really like um that we're kind of having scenes like this between them where they're being like kind of super casual and not fighting (laughs) they're not fighting and being mean to each other they're just talking like adults (laughs) and it's i mean sort of you know arthur's kind of being a bit like oh you think she's gonna defeat me but um yeah how far we've come since the curse of cornelius (laughs) where like every single episode is just um yeah uh vicious banter so i'm very very pleased with this turn of events in fact i don't think there's any abuse in this episode <laughs> not really i mean wow. um depends depends on i suppose it depends on how you see arthur commenting on um merlin's weight when he shows up with the robe i suppose okay. it depends on how you see that but fair enough but... i just mean based on like using him as a stool to climb up onto his horse. oh yeah we i mean compared to that. that this is a definite improvement <laughs> they're they're very very pleasant to each other in this episode i really like them in this episode a yeah, lot. Their, their banter their banter is actual like it feels bantery it doesn't feel abusive in this episode yeah. it feels like no, actual it's very sweet back and it's forth. very banter especially when they're later writing to mogoza's yeah whatever place yeah yeah um does anyone have anything else to say about the moral dilemmas whether it's uther and gaius or arthur and merlin or any of that um not sorry uther and arthur or arthur and merlin any of those two scenes about i thought i thought uh, they did a really good job showing the dilemma between the four main characters yeah yeah but I would like to shout out, I was so thrilled to see Jeffrey there Aww. being asked a question that he could actually answer. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of just being like the, the thing in the background, you know, it was it was really cute. So Aww, bless him. Um, so the one with the Arthur's chamber set is the one I've called next because Merlin visits Arthur's. I mean, Morgoza's chambers. Um, <laughs> and, they are. and honestly... <laughs> Like, yeah. Merlin, I know this is Arthur's chamber set, but you really need to learn how to knock when entering people's <laughs> rooms, or otherwise you find yourself with a sword in your face. <laughs> I do still think, like, I even have this written down, she's a tad defensive for my liking. Like, you know, there's a difference between approaching someone with a have you forgotten how to knock or even holding a weapon? And there's a difference between having it this far from someone's face, looking like you're ready to run them through. Poor Merlin and the visitors that come to this castle. He's just, he doesn't have um, uh, a very easy time of it. So yeah, Merlin's basically 
trying to convince her to withdraw from the challenge and you know she obviously is and just he's, like oh he's, well, maybe Arthur could, he's yeah. only doing it because Arthur told him to go to her <laughs> and convince exactly. her and like Merlin is like I'm sh- I don't know what Arthur was thinking how Merlin was supposed to do it I'm pretty sure that Arthur expected Merlin to be a little bit more subtle but Merlin literally <laughs> goes Arthur sent me to, told, to, to tell you you should withdraw your challenge <laughs> He's just like, I, this is not part of my duties. I mean, it's, it's very sweet, you know, like in a way that he tries, but yeah, it's not, it's not going to work. And I love how Morgo just bites back with, well, maybe he should, you know, why should I? And it's like, to be fair, you were the one that came in here and caused all the trouble. <laughs> um, but then, I mean, I do just want to point out the, you know, fandom famous line. Uh, no, he can't do that. It's not in him to withdraw. And I mean, we just add that to the tally of, I was wide open. Why didn't you go for it? In one, was, was that in Once and Future Queen? Oh, fuck. I can't yeah. remember what the line is. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, pull out. I was wide open. That was it. Which is just my favorite line in the entire show. So we just add that one to the tally because it's It's right necessary. there. Yes. It's literally right there. And Merlin would know. Um, and basically more goes like, so we start to get a bit more kind of prying from Merlin. Like, why are you doing this? Like, what's your, what's your reason? Which is basically me whilst watching this entire episode more goes, why are you doing this? Um, and yeah, she just says, my reasons are not your concern, which, okay, fair enough. He's a servant, but you could at least tell the viewer what your reasoning is. Um, She's also looking but really we know cool. What, where... what we as the viewer, we know what her reasons is because in the beginning she told us the battle for your soul is about to begin. <laughs> that means nothing. <laughs> That's like a sentence that tells us less than nothing. It's just it's so pointless. Morgan, please. Um, are we like surprised that Morgana turned out to be such a terrible villain when she was coached by Morgos? Really? <laughs> <laughs> it run, um, maybe it runs in a family whatever family connection yeah. they have oh, sisters yeah. by um, choice at Mor- the very least sisters by choice yeah. but, uh, but Morgos is looking actually really bamf like in this outfit she looks kind of like casual warrior sort of like what Arthur wears it's basically one of his shirts I think <laughs> I don't know that, that's a fit that's, let me tell you that, but, um, I mean that's definitely a look that the lesbians like I'm sure I mean she's ticking all of the female villain boxes at the moment so um yeah so basically we then like i said very very quick scenes in succession the next one they're already getting ready to fight we have a very quick precursor of uh merlin putting on arthur's armor and reminding him that no matter what happens it's not his fault because you did your best although arthur did nothing so i don't really know he's just trying to make him feel better it's like merlin you also didn't really do much either <laughs> just like alex said, he just gave the game away it's like and alex i never even thought about that that maybe arthur wanted him to be more subtle i mean he says to him you have to persuade her to withdraw the challenge and i'm just and then merlin goes in yeah so arthur wants you to withdraw your challenge <laughs> and i'm just like merlin that's not persuasion that's telling <laughs> Also, it's not like he just goes in there to say, could you withdraw your challenge? He goes, oh, Arthur sent me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
that Arthur is literally his whole thing is he doesn't want to appear like a coward. So he's worried about not appearing like a coward by going himself. So it makes it look much better that he sent his servant to do it for him. Exactly. Oh my god. Um, but in any case, the pseudo siblings appear in the arena together. And they actually, like, I'm not being funny. I can't believe that they weren't the ones that were chosen to be related. Or, or maybe they are, God knows. But um, they look so similar. <laughs> like, in this moment, like, with the gold hair and the serious expression. Yeah. Like, they just look like they could be brother and sister, yeah. honestly. And neither um, of them yeah. chose to put up the hood of their chain mail to protect their necks. But then again, yes. Morgos at least had her hair. <laughs> Yeah, that that drives me crazy that they don't put up the the cough. I mean, in... Arthur does it a lot. You're supposed of, to. Arthur Arthur usually does it, but in this case, he probably figured I don't need it. I I don't. <laughs> well, actually, if if, if you look further along, they, he doesn't do it anymore. So oh, okay. uh, so he he did it in like the first season, and then after that, he never does it Bradley again. Bradley so probably didn't fighting, like it, and that's why they stopped probably. doing it because he was like, no, this is uncomfortable. I don't want to do or it. Or he realized it oh, didn't look cool. He reassures her that everything's going to be fine or anything, and like he's so sure he's going to win, and then in the end, it's Mogo's the one who beats him. Yeah. And also, I had a question. Like, is it? That anytime someone throws a gauntlet, it's a fight to the death. Yeah, I guess if they pick it up, it's a yeah, looks like it. Okay. I mean, that's what the show has us believe, isn't it? Yeah. Although they made a very big deal about it in Excalibur when he said we fight to the death. Yeah. Because yeah. he he explicitly stated that it would be a fight to the death. Maybe that was for the audience. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe the audience had never seen a medieval show before. I don't know, <laughs> but um, I feel like yeah, maybe it was just kind of like okay, now now that the now that we've had a whole episode about this, maybe people will get it, sort of thing. And like you know, it's kind of dropped like throughout the episode of like oh, she could kill you, you could kill her. So you know, I guess it. I mean, what like what would be the other alternative? You just fight until dinner, no, like like first, first blood. blood. Yeah, yeah or just enough. like in this case. Like the way it ended was with Morgos with her, with her sword to Arthur's chest, and then there's the implication that she could kill him now, but because yeah. it's not a fight to the death, she doesn't actually kill him then. But it's clear anyway that he lost. Yeah, because right. she could. That's fair. But yeah. I like that he's kind of. I mean, he, like I said before, he could have won, but he has that moment where he lets her retrieve her sword. Um, which is which is really cool. Like he just kind of gives that little kind of motion with uh with his own sword to like okay you can pick up your weapon. So that kind of you know and then it earns like a cheer from the crowd, which is really cool because you know he's being honourable. Um, mm -hmm. uh, also I have a a costume note for this scene. Um, Merlin is wearing his superior jacket, which is the darker uh jacket it's like a darker brown and it is the superior jacket and i just wanted to point out that after the lady of the lake i think it disappears forever so let's enjoy it while we can it's very sad because <laughs> i think he gives it to freya like that's what he buries her in or like whatever so i'm just like <laughs> how about no <laughs> like he gave her the, the shit jacket this is this is nice this is a darker jacket more expensive um so that was just something that made me very happy he wears it a lot in this episode also when Morgos actually has Arthur pinned, you have there's this look on his face like he's kind of 
prepared to die like it's and it's really interesting because obviously as a warrior he's kind of like you know he knows that he's probably gonna die one day like he's probably not stupid like that he could die in battle and like what anytime there's a chance like i don't think he's that naive that he thought he could absolutely win with not like 100 percent certainty so kind of i think he's always got it in the back of his mind that this could be my last fight so just seeing that look on his face where he's like okay this is this is it and just kind of that like being brave i was like oh gosh it kind of made me emotional <laughs> i really <laughs> like it but yeah he's a good boy um and uh what did i oh i think there's uh, a moment with oh yeah sorry i had written down here this could be such a good canon ship and i wasn't sure if i was talking about morgana morgos or arthur morgos but i think i was talking about morgana morgos which basically like i wish they hadn't like i because obviously at this point you don't know that they're related like unless you know the legend like because you've heard the name morgos but if you're just watching like you don't know that they're related and obviously like there's this whole like mind connection thing going on or whatever and morgana like super interested in the whole episode is like so emotionally driven from, from her pov and i'm just like oh why couldn't have morgana got a female love interest <laughs> this is so <laughs> what do you sad. mean she has plenty of female love interests gwen I mean, <laughs> and morgos morgos yeah i mean she literally has morgos <laughs> like that is canon but yeah i'm just like oh come on show this could have been really really cool or just i don't know i was very upset that they ended up being sisters so anyway <laughs> moving on uh i actually have nothing written down for the next scene but i gave it a name in case someone else does and i put the one with suspicious gaius and gaius is just being suspicious as usual and nothing new so he just notices morgos's bracelet does anyone have anything to say about this like he said that she looks familiar, but she left Camelot as a baby. Like, maybe how could she look familiar? Maybe one of maybe she looks like one of the parents or something. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That she probably looks a little bit I... like one of the parents. Yeah. Also, yeah, like also he... again, Gaius also has a tiny bit of magic. Maybe it's the magic again. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think so. But I think she looks like one of the parents, probably. Yeah, I mean, he probably knew the mother if he, like, thought to smuggle the baby out. So he probably, like, had contact with the mother at some point. So maybe she looks a lot like um, her mom. So that could be that could be it. Um, but yeah, Guy is sneaky and suspicious as usual. Um, then I've got the one with the teasing. I love this scene so much. <laughs> it's just like, honestly, we probably didn't need it. But there's just something about Arthur, like, because we re like just them in the post battle like domestic setting is something i really like just arthur doing nothing and merlin doing everything and like having to <laughs> unscrew everything and them just talking casually and everything being casual and domestic but more importantly <laughs> arthur obviously talking to himself mostly and not seeing any of merlin's expressions and merlin just like grinning it just it's such a sweet scene and i love merlin being absolutely awful like he's just kind of um being yeah an absolute like ass like just that close-up on his smirk where he's just like i've never been so humiliated in my entire life <laughs> and merlin just go like oh it's actually quite funny when you think about it arthur just kind of coming up like you said what <laughs> and yeah the, the comic timing in this in is brilliant and i love like i think whenever bradley and colin talk about like the dynamic between these two he always talk like 
Bradley always mentions how Merlin just like he just can't help himself, can he? He just kind of like he just has to keep getting the last word in, and so he's just like, I was hindered because I was fighting a woman, and then it just kind of goes quiet. And Merlin's just like, he didn't look hindered. (laughs) 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 You are so gonna get a smack at some point. I love the snark of it. I mean, Merlin is just so very Merlin in this episode. In that, he really is in this scene. It's just so he love. I just think this is his favorite thing to do, honestly. Like he just absolutely loves to see how far he can push it before he actually just gets like clumped around the head. Eventually, yeah. he's just like, I'll stop talking now. <laughs> yeah, my own. My only note is author, your 16th century misogyny is shining through. Like I oh, just, yeah. uh, I'm just bothered. I mean, I know, you know, historical accuracy doesn't exist anyway in this in this show. So I'm just like, why does do they have to spend five minutes on Arthur complaining that he lost to a woman instead of him, you know, acknowledging that, okay, I did underestimate her. Like, even when at the end, when he says, you're right, I was hindered because she's a woman. It it clearly you know it's his last straw to to justify this to himself, yeah. and in, they could have used this instead with like you know what like if he had actually ha- I mean he did hesitate you know he did let her pick her up her sword he did give her a second chance instead of just ending it right there and then two minutes in, instead he he was chivalrous and let her continue fighting gave her a moment to collect herself and her weapon. And, you know, he could have been like, you know what, it was, you were right, I should have, I was hindered by the fact that she's a woman, I won't make that mistake again, and also, she's an incredible, like, she's an incredible fighter, and I lost to her, like, this could have been a moment for Arthur as a character to grow, and to acknowledge that, you know, other people that he might underestimate can be incredible fighters, or can surprise him, or even... Um, show him that he shouldn't underestimate them. This could have been a really good moment for Arthur to grow. And instead, the writers turn it into, ha ha, he lost to a girl. I mean, it is 2008, uh, nine at this point. So it sucks. It sucks. But to be fair, later on, um, like, I think this is kind of the, you know, it's sort of like him licking his wounds and the first kind of like prick of shame. But, I think later on when he meets her, he does actually say to her, hey, do you know what? You actually beat me fair and square and, you know, you're really good. So it was probably just the kind of first instinct for him to be like, oh, well, I mean, it was because she's a woman, obviously. And I think that he probably does know deep down, actually, she was really good. But yeah, also, he probably should have just killed her. But, you know, he didn't because he is a good boy. But um, yeah, it's just kind of. I think, you know, he, I think they tried to walk, I mean, I'm honestly very surprised at the, at the line that they managed to walk in this episode, considering that it's 2009. Like when I actually rewatched it, I was like, hmm, this actually isn't as sexist as I expected it to be upon a rewatch. Like it's not disgustingly awful. Like they actually kind of respect more goes. Like I think the narrative respects more goes for her skill and stuff. And I think even Arthur, respect her like once he actually speaks to her afterwards when they're you know not 
right post battle and everything but yeah i know what you mean like they just you know they can't resist with the girl jokes you know he calls merlin a girl a lot and you know um merlin's always made fun of for being more feminine than arthur and i mean really what else do we expect from merlin at this point i guess i'm honestly surprised that kind of more goes was even taken seriously by uther to be quite honest with you that was a nice surprise for me but yeah i mean what can you do? But I do agree with you. It would have been nice for him to acknowledge it in front of Merlin. But also Merlin just pushes his button. So I'm just like, I I wouldn't expect him to admit anything about him being the worst person like in front of Merlin because he knows that Merlin will just use it against him because that's the kind of person that Merlin is. So I don't know. But um, the d- 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 Right. Ha ha. The scene that sailed a thousand ships is the one that I've written next. Because, yeah, uh, basically is just all I've got to say about that. I, okay, but for real, I... I... Can I I just quickly, before you actually get into it, Morgana shows up and says, I didn't mean to intrude. And in my head, I hear, but I came into your chambers without knocking or even knowing whether you'd be here. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she's learning from Merlin. her room so many times at this point. She's just like, I just literally never take my clothes off now just in case Merlin walks into my chamber. <laughs> That's it. Gwen has to like learn how to undress me and put me in my night clothes without actually undressing me just in case. Oh, God. But this is actually a very sweet scene. I, It's so rare to kind of see Morgana open up this quickly to someone. And I think this is kind of what made everyone at the time really gravitate towards this relationship and be like oh this is actually really sweet because yeah she kind of straight away is just like oh I haven't been sleeping like you know just outright with her personal problems and more goes who literally I just said like like a couple of scenes ago is very standoffish to Merlin to Arthur you know even to Uther she's very you know kind of stoic how soft she is in this scene she's just like you know with the soft eyes and the soft voice and very like interested in what Morgana is saying and it's just a really cute scene it's really cute and obviously very important for their relationship going forward but I've always liked this scene having Morgos kind of um you know, as she's leaving, say, I, I hope that you will remember me fondly with like that kind of puppy dog look in her face. I'm like, <laughs> so sweet. But yeah, I really like this scene. It's actually one of my favorites in the episode. I love this introduction to their relationship. I don't know about the rest of you. If do you feel the same? <laughs> no one. <laughs> well, no, I, but- I- I think it it really raised a lot of questions as to their relationship and lineage relationship and whether the Morgos does Morgos know that Morgana is her sister and if so that whole scene could be a manipulation even though it's soft and gentle that maybe Morgana needs something soft and gentle in I mean, her I'm life. I'm pretty sure that mm-hmm. Morgos works under the assumption that Morgana is her sister, her half sister, whatever. Okay. Like I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's her whole motive to be so sweet to Morgana. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And what I yeah. mean, I, I'm not sure. Like, I wouldn't say definitely that that she's being sweet to manipulate Morgana. It might honestly be that she's being sweet because 
hey sister um, but we just don't know like I I, I don't throw uh, I don't trust Mogo is further than I can throw her which is not at all so you know I mean, she uses her later in one of the other episodes with the, the, I forget the name of it, the sleeping one where everybody falls asleep. And she does, she manipulates Morgana in that way without her consent. So I was very suspicious about how Morgos was treating Morgana in that particular, this particular scene. Because of that. That's true. Yeah. No, absolutely. I just, I don't know. I feel like, I I don't know if Morgos knew that Morgana might have magic before she met her. Mm. And I don't even know if she knows the full extent of it at this point anyway. So if she doesn't know about her magic, then what could she possibly use Morgana for? Oh, like, because, because Uther loves Morgana as, yeah. a, as a ward, and that's a way of getting into Uther's head by pulling Morgana away from him. Yeah, and if... That's okay, true. the thing is... Um, if we take only this episode, then I would say, like, if, if I'd only watched it as far as now, if I didn't know anything that happens after, I would say Mogos is genuinely, you know, sweet with Morgana because she likes Morgana. Obviously, now that we have more information about Mogos because we've seen the whole show, I can totally see why she would want to get close to Morgana regardless of whether Morgana has magic or not. I would say Mogos possibly suspects that Morgana has magic, maybe based on the nightmares or whatever. We just we don't know at this point, but she could have used Morgana for the for the sleeping spell in um Lost Dragon Lord either way. Because um she didn't need Morgana to be to have magic herself. To use her as a medium. But also the way that Mogos reacts at the end of that episode when she when she assumes that Morgana is dying, or like when Morgana is actually dying, and Mogos is worried that she can't do anything for her. Like that's I feel like that's actual concern we see in Mogos. So I feel like she does actually love Morgana as her sister, but she also is willing to use her to achieve her goals as long as like i don't think she actually meant for morgana to get hurt in that in that episode she assumed that morgana would be fine Mm. right yeah i think yeah i think that you're right i think as a relationship it's it's really complicated i think that there are genuine feelings there but like you said i just think it's that thing of like sometimes there are bigger things than the two of us kind of thing going on as well um but I really like where it began, like that we can kind of tell that perhaps like, you know, because we don't know if we can trust more goes at this point, like as a viewer. But from this scene, what we can see is that there's someone that Morgana might be able to talk to. And that's really important for us as a viewer to kind of go, oh, oh, this could be someone really important for her. And then obviously, like, soon after we see, yeah, Morgos giving her the present that actually helps her sleep. And we're like, oh, this is amazing. Like, this could be really positive. And it could have been under different circumstances, maybe. Um, So I just really like their introduction, that it was kind of when Morgos wasn't necessarily a villain at this point. I thought that was really, really nice. 
Um, the next scene title I have is the one where Moore goes and stores the GPS <laughs> because <laughs> she absolutely loves it. Um, okay, first of all, can we talk about Amelia Fox's age? Because Thank you. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if Morgos is just outright bullshitting, and if she is, Arthur, you're. Oh God, just yeah. get, just, just, just count on your fingers. It's not that difficult, please. Yeah. It's please, that, please. That God. is my only question really? for this scene. How old is Morgos supposed? Like we are supposed to believe that she is probably older than Morgana, but we wouldn't even know by how much. There's also no guarantee that she's older than Morgana. She could be Morgana's age. I mean, just from how Amelia Fox looks, I would say, okay, she's supposed to be older than Morgana. But even then, she's not old enough to have known Igraine personally. Especially since we earlier learned that she... Like, she... Got sent away. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> she says to Gaius that she's only been at Camelot when she was a baby. And Gaius later tells us that he smuggled her out of Golois's castle when she was a baby. So we as the audience know that that's bullshit. She can't have known Igraine because when would she have met her? In what circumstances would she have met Igraine, even if she weren't much too young? <laughs> yeah, I agree. So it, he, she was lying like a yeah. rug. I mean, I also, yeah. I have a theory, but I want to wait until we get to the scene when Igraine actually appears to share it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is just, and like, you can even see her like smirking when she talk, like, like when she says, oh, you know, you inherited that trait from your mother and she knows that Arthur's gonna ask. And I'm just like, Arthur, please. And like, oh, it's just, so annoying to watch like it's so annoying to watch <laughs> just please but yeah um more goes but you know to be fair very good at tricking him and manipulating him and then riding off right as he has more questions um but yeah uh yeah and also what i will say is that this entire episode would not work if arthur wasn't kind of i want to say Arthur probably would have still gone to do this challenge, like, if the mother thing hadn't been mentioned. And so it only really kind of works because Arthur is so noble. And so I wonder if she kind of mentioned the mother thing to just make sure that he'll show up or if she always was going to bring it up anyway. Because Arthur probably would have gone anyway, because that's just the kind of person he is, because I have to keep my word. Da, 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 da. Um, I mean, I don't know. Do you guys think he would have shown up if she hadn't mentioned Igraine? I think he probably would yeah, have. Yeah, I think he would have. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Yeah. Arthur, stop being so noble, please. <laughs> <laughs> stop getting tricked. Um, well, actually, in, in that scene, I really felt bad for Arthur. Yeah. He looked... Uh, well gobsmacked and he looked like he really wanted to know what was going on and he looked so vulnerable it was really sweet yeah <laughs> okay uh, um oh sorry marky what were you gonna say something not really just um like as far as being cryptic goes she contends against the dragon like she doesn't <laughs> give away anything yeah once time comes you will know your way so <laughs> <it>. <laughs> Oh god. 
Um, the one I have next is the one for all the more Gwen shippers. I have pretty much nothing to say in this scene except I know that it's good for the more Gwen shippers, so I wanted to mention it in case anyone else has anything to say. They're very Morgana wakes up and she's healed from her nightmares and all is well. And Gwen is there to stare lovingly at her. <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I have to comment on is have you noticed how glossy and perfect her curls looked when she woke up. Like, yeah, like how can yeah. no one realize that Morgana is magic when she looks up <laughs> looking like that? <laughs> like, that jackass is impossible to achieve. The one where Uther is being Uther. I loved him so much. He's <laughs> just... So, first of all, one Utherism, doing random paperwork and nothing seemingly logical while he's having a conversation, pouring something on the paper and whatever, just kind of like pretending like he's busy. Definitely an, an Utherism. Arthur, you know, he's like, I said, oh, what is the nature of this challenge? He's like, I don't know. I'm going to find out when I get there. And he goes, and he just looks up and goes, you should never have made such a promise. You have no idea what she might ask. And I just can picture, like, bringing up this boy, like, who clearly has this, like, nobility thing. And can you imagine him coming to Uther, like, every other day that he made some solemn oath about something? <laughs> being like Arthur stop promising people things it's just um I mean that that is a face of a tired dad who thought that they'd moved past this years ago he says you should never have made such a promise how many times have I had to tell you um and Arthur's just like I have given my word of course we know that that's not really the reason why he's doing this and um essentially it boils down to the, so like uther starts getting more and more uh suspicious and we know he's getting more suspicious because he gets up out of his chair so that's a very very big utherism number three he starts pacing <laughs> pacing uther is always a dangerous uther <laughs> and so arthur starts uh mentioning uh, his mother, and then the Utherisms really begin. Yeah. He is immediately convinced that Morgos is lying, and he's like, it confirms my suspicions. I believe that Morgos is an enchantress. How else would she have managed to beat you in the door? <laughs> oh my god, I will never get tired of the sorcery gif, honestly. <laughs> started already in season two it's just like oh yes well it confirms my suspicions you never had suspicions you just made that up on the spot well is clearly an enchantress this also like later on he has a similar moment when um arthur comes back in furious he's like well i can only oh you would believe a sorcerer's lies over the word of your own father i can only begin to imagine that Morgos enchanted you it's just like <laughs> but you know what how nice must it be to have an excuse for anything just sorcery <laughs> anything bad happens in your life well clearly this person that lost against uh, that won against me in this tournament is a sorcerer i'll have him executed are we thinking that uther is afraid arthur's going to found find out something uther doesn't want him to hear 
Oh yeah. I yes. mean, like that, like that was what I wrote down is that the beauty of this scene, because, because from this point, I mean, it starts off casual and kind of funny and it, the rate at which it escalates is ridiculous. Like as soon as Arthur's mother is mentioned, both of them are on the defensive. Arthur, because he wants to know the truth and Uther, because he wants to keep the truth hidden. And they're both like not moving they are just not budging from their points of view at all and Uther starts raising his voice he sits back down which is Utherism number four he is literally like not having any of it and he basically yeah just tells the guards to lock Arthur in his room and Arthur leans over like he leans over him because I want to hear what she knows about my mother and you I mean come on if that isn't the face of a man who is hiding something on Uther's face when he goes she's lying you know of course he knows that Arthur's going to find something out that he really doesn't want to find <laughs> out. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, even if there's a risk that Morgoes is lying, there's no way he's taking that risk. So, yeah. What I, what I noted on that scene is that Uther uncovers his sword and puts his hand on it when Arthur uh, tells him that Morgoes knows the grain. So I thought that was a really big tell on that. On that. Yeah, I know. That's amazing. Anthony is great. I love Anthony. And yes, I agree. Of course he thinks that Mogos is going to tell Arthur something that's too close to the truth. So, which yeah. again, yeah. Uh, it just makes it so much harder for us to figure out whether or not Igraine was really Igraine. Yeah. I mean, I think that regardless of whether or not we think that this is the truth, I think that Uther, I think, I don't think Uther is worried about Arthur thinking that... Okay, hang on. I think that Uther does feel responsible for Egraine's death. I don't think he is responsible, but I think he feels responsible. So he is definitely protecting himself because he doesn't want Arthur to look at him differently. But I think the real thing he's trying to protect is the fact that Egraine died because of magic. I don't necessarily think that he reckons Arthur's mother, quote unquote, is going to tell him that Uther killed her, essentially. I think he was just worried that Arthur would find out about the magic and that there was a pact made and that he would then blame Uther for it himself, which, you know, really, they could have done it that way. They didn't have to do it this way. <laughs> Just to point that out, but we'll get to that scene soon. Like it's soon, it's soon, guys. Um, the one with brooding Arthur. Arthur is very brooding in his chambers, and I love the detail of him just picking away at the wall with his knife. Yeah. Just kind of like that's just what he does when he's bored. I just think that's such a <laughs> like. I don't know if it was something that Bradley came up with or something that the director came up with, but it's um it's really really cool. Um, Merlin. God, Merlin is so, like Uther is very Uther in this episode and Merlin is very Merlin like he, Arthur's like oh my father thinks I shouldn't go and he's like oh maybe he's got a point you don't know what she might ask you to do and he's doing that thing where he just slurs his words because he has nothing of interest to say he's just talking for the sake of it <laughs> and yeah Arthur just pointing his knife being like I gave her my quote-unquote word and yeah and Merlin's just being like oh so we're going anyway then and yeah Arthur expecting him to do everything again because you know of course of course yeah. he is but I guess it makes sense because you know Arthur can't leave his room so I mean <laughs> I, I also think that Merlin was trying to get him to not go because Merlin just did not want to go it's just like <laughs> I don't want to leave the castle I have a show to watch 
my 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 DVR is full. I have to watch this or I lose the episode. Just why are you making me leave? I hate being outside. There are bugs. So I've 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 named the next one the one with the pointless comedy. I just feel like yeah, all right. It's just like Merlin would have looked less suspicious if he just picked like gone to get the rope and just walked out with it. <laughs> like guys probably wouldn't have you know he knows that Merlin and Arthur are dating. He probably wouldn't have seen anything weird about him carrying a rope out of his chambers. So I'm just kind of like you made it weird by like pretending like you're helping yeah and also <laughs> implying that the rope went somewhere where it shouldn't go yeah, yeah. <laughs> which i can't which i can't decide if it's if it's kind of like playing on the on the trope of um it being you know quote unquote funny when men get sexually assaulted or if it's if it's not, like, I'm I'm not sure if it belongs in that category or not, but, like, I'm just like, this is so unnecessary. And it's literally the joke is, for any adult viewers who watch this, I mean, don't tell me they tried to do anything else with this. The joke is that the rope went somewhere where it shouldn't have gone. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was just that, like, he magics the rope up his, like, uh, uh, trouser leg, and then he just, like, obviously he knows it's going to go that direction but it still surprises him when it does and so he's just like oh shit (laughs) just trying to like keep a straight face but like it's not unfunny it's just one of those things that i okay i mean it's very short but yeah it's just again it it's one of those things where it makes guys look like an idiot because like i'm surprised he didn't like the rope is just moving across the floor it's not like it's right next to him it's moving across the room like how did guys not see it it's yeah okay whatever um but that's that and then uh the one the one i called next was the one that wrote a thousand mpreg fix because i can tell you from experience that it 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 did i Uh, I, I find that interesting i thought it would have because of the comments on merlin's you know merlin gaining weight so i would have assumed that it was more like uh the scene that wrote a thousand feeding king fix I mean, both, but it was kind of like, because it was around his tummy and Merlin, like, pulling the thing up to, like, reveal something that made Arthur smile. <laughs> so it's just kind of like, it was a it was a whole thing. But um, it's, I think it's like, um, I mean, the only reason I really like this scene is because, Mer- like, both of their smiles in this scene, like Merlin being like, look, I did a good thing. And Arthur actually having, like, the best smile ever. Like their smiles are both just so amazing. But they're just so good. To but me they're also in they're, this but also both of them are very not smart because neither of them <laughs> measured. Exactly. <laughs> neither of them thought to test how long the rope actually is before Arthur lowered himself down. And like Arthur's already almost out the window before he's like, Merlin, are you sure you can actually hold me? And then he believes Merlin when Merlin <laughs> says, Yeah, of course I can. Like I'm not okay so again this scene probably could like we could have probably cut from Merlin like Arthur discovering the rope to them riding out of Camelot but I will never I will not have this scene taken away from me because it is so brilliant like Art like Merlin putting on gloves so he can hold the rope because yep. he's such a weak like Arthur I mean, just kind that's... of eyeing him suspiciously putting on the gloves <laughs> is just smart thinking because otherwise his hands would have been shredded no, fair, but it's just like, 
we, I mean, it just looks so funny because he's like, did like doing this whole ritual, like you know, stretching his arms, <laughs> trying to prepare, and yeah, Arthur just kind of going, "Are you sure you're strong enough to hold me?" <laughs> just looks really suspicious, and the fact that he kind of yeah just doesn't start doubting him until he's halfway out the window. And, like, they're comic... Oh, my God, these two bounce off each other comedically so well. Like, Arthur just kind of... He kind of inches out a bit more and inches out a bit more. And then Merlin kind of gets into position, gets into position, and then just kind of gives him that nod. And then Arthur just kind of jumps out. And Merlin is dragged across the length of the room (laughs) by Arthur's weight. And then just stops. And, yeah, Arthur's just, like... I'm pr- also I'm pretty sure Arthur is nowhere near the bottom of that rope when it stops nope. because I think there's a lot of like ha- like um loose rope at the bottom so he could have definitely like saved himself some hurt by just shimmying down a bit or guess that was too much I just I just him. don't understand why he wouldn't have let the rope down and climbed down yeah. himself like why <laughs> yeah. why make Merlin I mean make Merlin hold it okay because he didn't have anything to tie it to in his room so it wouldn't move but like, why oh. not just throw down the rope and then start climbing down? Yeah, exactly. Just, what is? Because we, I mean, <laughs> it's brilliant. It is so brilliant though, and and also Arthur just like it's the frustration. It's like, what are you doing? Lower the rope, but then just Merlin's horror when he realizes there is no more rope, and the shot that kills me is just Arthur just sighing. And just leaning his forehead against the wall, <laughs> just like, God, give me strength. But like you said, Alex, why didn't he check that there was enough rope? He's the one that's going to be climbing down. And then also we've got just those back and forth shots of Merlin just being like, <laughs> just like making these pained noises like he can't hold on. And then just dropping it. And there's like a shot where we hear Arthur falling and Merlin's face just coming up in the bottom of the frame like, it's just brilliant. It's such a funny scene. Obviously, we have yeah. to have the, you know, Arthur falling into the horse ship because this is Merlin. But I genuinely think this is such a funny scene. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, and yeah, well, I, do, I, do have, I have one question. Why mm. does Arthur's window overlook so many different places? <laughs> oh, God, because the, <laughs> Diane, the wheel of plots must must spin somehow. <laughs> Oh, that must progress somehow. Yeah. Oh God. Unless, um, unless they move Arthur's room every every episode. I yeah, mean, he's maybe. the prince. He maybe. can sleep in whatever room he wants. <laughs> and they're all the same set, so we wouldn't know <laughs> any different. Um, the one I have written down next, although I'm I'm not I'm not confident that I didn't skip a scene or two, but I've got the one with the mandatory fight scene, which is when they're already in the woods. But uh, yeah, so I think I skipped the bit where they have the fork in the road. Um, and I yeah. also think I skipped the bit with Guys and Morgana, but if anyone has anything to say about that, please say it now. Um, like, when they notice that Arthur's window is open, like, why did the mother close it? <laughs> they didn't go out of the chamber through the, that way, so why didn't it close it? I mean, they would have figured out that Arthur had escaped somehow anyway because Merlin was missing yeah, from his like, bed. Yeah, but like the window is in the center of the shot. It doesn't make any sense, but yeah. anyway. Yeah, it's just a funny detail. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's just Merlin. <laughs> <laughs> he forgets things, so. <laughs> um, 
so yeah they you know the horse knows where it's going da, 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 yeah. uh gaius and morgana have a scene where we find out that morgana slept well and gaius uh, sees the bracelet so that then we can have the scene later on with uther but then we have the one with the mandatory fight scene um the reason i mentioned this scene well first of all again Mullen being annoying is just funny i just love that he's being really fucking annoying in this episode like even like i i personally love it but if i wasn't the kind of person that found that kind of thing endearing i would be like arthur where i'd be like one more word out of you Merlin. <laughs> one more word um but it's i think it's really cute but um what i really like about this scene is that like because at first i was like why why do we have this scene but then i remembered it's sort of like we needed it to show that hey actually arthur's taking a really big risk coming here and he's taking a really big risk because he wants to find out the truth because merlin at this point is just kind of following him because it's arthur and he'll follow him anywhere but he needs to know as the pov character like why the fuck are we going here and you know this is dangerous look i nearly got killed by someone that screamed as they approached which kind of is ridiculous because then it makes them easier to yeah. kill um so it's just sort of like i think it was important like for us to have this scene so we can see that actually like it's dangerous yeah, i'm just wondering how this did not cause a war because Arthur says they are in Odin's land now. These are Odin's men. How did this not result in a war? Since the prince of yeah. Camelot entered Odin's kingdom without permission and prior um, negotiation and anything? Well, it also didn't cause a war when they literally stayed in... The- Eldorf for two that's weeks. Because, I'm, I'm assuming that that's because um, uh, Senra just didn't find out at the time because Merlin wasn't attacked or like they weren't attacking actual knights of Senra. They were fighting Kanan. Yeah. You know, my favorite. But this time, but this yeah. time they actually <laughs> were attacked and killed knights of Odin. Mm. Yeah. That is true, but I guess there was no one there to see it, so... Ha, so did it really happen? <gasps> um, so I think the next one was actually the guys and Morgana scene, which is the one that I skipped. And then we have the one that I've called the one that was done in one take. This yeah. is a very famous scene in the fandom, <laughs> mostly because it was done in one take. And it just kind of... I think it was filmed at the end of the day like just as they were losing the light and it's kind of a little bit perfect <laughs> because they both look a bit tired especially bradley he kind of has this like i want to leave like bloodshot but he looks like a bit like his eyes look a bit baggy and he kind of looks a bit like you know like he could like he's been up all day and it definitely works like that how they physically look like really works for the scene um this is such a good moment and um i think there's a commentary for this episode is there yeah i think i think i think there's a commentary for this episode and i think the way that they describe it is like you know you've kind of they talk about the relationship between these two sort of like you know you've got that kind of relationship where it's like you know jokes and like bitiness like you know 90 percent of the time and then you have those precious moments where you actually have something to talk about you know that's really really deep and meaningful and the fact that they kind of randomly found this moment just like you know this thing that they share 
that's so important that they, you know, it doesn't matter what class they're from. It doesn't matter how much, you know, whether they're a prince or a servant, like that is not important in this moment. It's that they both have a missing parent and that they both feel that. And it's really, really good. I really like this scene a lot. I I agree. I absolutely love this scene. It's amazing. But yeah, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. And it's a really great, foreshadowing as well for Balinor who's going to show up at the end of this yeah. season which I really really like Merlin never does this <laughs> <laughs> the fact that we have Balinor I mean yeah I, I just and Arthur Bradley um, I mean I personally I feel like I've seen this scene not necessarily like physically watched it but I have edited with this scene I wouldn't I don't think it would be an exaggeration to say hundreds of times so I'm pretty sure I've like assessed every micro expression on these guys' faces at this point during this scene. And Bradley has some really like soft and like earnest looks on his faces while Mer- while he's listening to Merlin talk. Like he's really listening to Merlin talk. And just when he asks him, you know, oh, is that so wrong? And getting that approval, no, like you're not weak. You're not weird for wanting this 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 one thing for yourself and then when he gets up to go take the first watch Merlin kind of follows him like his like gaze kind of follows him as he goes like he looks concerned he doesn't you know he knows that Arthur is very emotionally driven he doesn't know what's going to come of this you know like what could happen he knows Arthur will do anything to find out the truth now that he realizes how important it is so yeah um but yeah I really really like this scene it's a it's a it's a very very famous one so happy that we could talk about it does anyone else have anything to say about this scene just love this scene it's good isn't it <laughs> it's so good uh, arthur is so vulnerable in it and Merlin is just so understanding it's like two friends who really really get each other it's really it really is it's yeah and i think this is one of the first times when they actually do really get each other like there's nothing i mean how often do we have these two talking where there's no comedic moment or kind of trying to break the tension like they just let the tent and it's not even tense like it just feels like a warm scene like honestly this is the kind of scene that we won't get again you know for probably until like season five like this is the kind of dynamic they have all the way in that season and it's very rare to for it to pop up in an early season like season two it's very very special and yeah we love it very much (laughs) so um yeah and then the next uh scene that i have written down is the one with the family history which is the one where we will start assessing all of the lineages um but basically gaius walks in to tell uther what he's found out and that he's finally certain that he knows who Morgos is and like i said uther seems very forgiving towards gaius for smuggling a child to the priestesses of the old religion considering what happened a week ago but we know that time doesn't exist in merlin so you know we have to give them a pass i suppose what i do like about this though is that it kind of reminds us as well that you know Uther says at the end of the scene, I don't want Morgana's loyalties divided, but Gaius, you know, he's been blamed by Edwin. He's been blamed by a lot of people, by the dragon for just turning the, like turning a blind eye 
mm-hmm. over what happened during the purge. But we can see his loyalties were also divided. He, I think he probably had a really hard time and really struggled and probably had huge, like problems mentally trying to come to terms with what happened 20 years ago because you can see it wasn't as easy as oh i'm going to support uther and that's that you know he went behind uther's back and smuggled a child to the priestesses of the old religion so that's a pretty big deal unless of course this was before the purge this is what i'm thinking that that it was before the purge Mm, of course yeah because morgos must be older right that's what i'm thinking yeah she's older and uh, that it happened before the purge, and that's why Gaius even admits to it, because it happened before mm-hmm. the ban. Yeah. And in which case, why did he yeah. do that? This is where we get in with with why Morgana and Mogos probably aren't actual blood-related. Well, there are two options here, essentially. So there are two options here. In the canon, as we know it, Gaius refers to Morgos as Morgana's half-sister. He is aware that there is some kind of blood connection between them, as far as he knows, which means he doesn't know that Uther is Morgana's father. So the only way that he is able to understand Morgana and Morgos as being half-sisters is if Morgana is Vivienne and Gorlois's child. That is what he understands to be true. So Morgos either was given the bracelet through the house of Gorlois because Gorlois is her father, in which case the illegitimacy would come from Gorlois having an affair with another woman, and therefore he wouldn't want a bastard child in court, and so he would have maybe asked, because I, like, I assume he knew Gaius, he would have asked Gaius to smuggle out, maybe Gaius knew the mother, whatever kind of circumstances, to the priestesses of the old religion, and she would perhaps have kept the bracelet as a token from her father or whatever in which case morgana and morgos aren't related at all when we find out who morgana's real father is because gorlois would be morgos's father and uther is morgana's father therefore they are not sisters the other more possible explanation is that morgana um uh, sorry, Morgos was given the bracelet by her mother. Like, and and like this is the thing. She says it was a gift from my mother. So what I'm assuming to be true is that Morgos was given. To, obviously, Morgana and um, sorry, fuck's sake, Vivienne and Gorlois were married, and so Vivienne would have had the name of the house of Gorlois as well, and so she would have been able to give Morgos the bracelet because of the marriage. What I think is more likely is that Vivienne had an affair with someone, gave the bracelet to Morgos before she was smuggled out of Camelot, and then the rest is history, which means they would have had the same mother, and Gaius would have been aware of that, which would make sense that Morg- that Gaius would then call her Morgana's half-sister. They both have Vivienne as a mother, Morgana's father is Gorlois, Morgos' father is some unknown man. However, it also would make sense given the new canon that we have in season three, even though it doesn't make sense at the time of season two airing, that Uther would be freaking out about Morgos being alive because maybe Uther is Morgos' father as well as Morgana's. Wow, so they're not just half-sisters, they're full sisters. They're full sisters. And that means that Morgos is also Arthur's half-sister. 
because why would i mean obviously i don't think the writers knew necessarily that they were going to take it to the uther is morgana's father like we will never know like you know if i ever meet the writers again i will definitely ask them just for my own sanity but i think that it it makes sense on both fronts it doesn't make sense for uther to freak out because he says i was led to believe that the child had died why why do you care if the child lived or not it's not like if it's not your family if it's nothing to do with you then why does it make a difference right yeah so the only way that i can understand it is that we're already hinting in that scene that uther is morgoza's father just by the fact that he cares so much now obviously as a viewer at the time you want to like you understand gorlois to be morgana's father we don't know that like at the time i think that the way that guys and uther are speaking you know he's like oh her half sister and uther gets up and he's like i thought that the child had died the child isn't to be like you know i hooked up with vivienne and we had a child together and then she was smuggled out of camelot because you know and maybe Vivienne gave Morgos the bracelet of Gorlois to quail any suspicions that she was actually a Pendragon. Who knows? We certainly don't. That makes sense, actually. We certainly don't. <laughs> but yeah, um, I think it's the only plausible explanation for Uther's behavior in that scene. Because obviously, it makes more sense for her to be smuggled out if she was Gorlois's kid. Because like I said, it would be very easy for Vivienne to pretend as though she was Gorlois's kid. This has happened in English history before. Um, women, like, and it's been documented and proven that certain kings and princes couldn't have been legitimate, and yet people just turned a blind eye. Like that happens all the time. <laughs> but it's a lot less difficult for a guy to pretend because it would be with another woman. So <laughs> it sort of would make more sense for um, for logic for more ghosts to be born off of maybe a peasant woman or or something like that. But because of the way Uther reacted to it. I mean, surely we're, we're meant to understand that Uther is actually Morgoza's dad, right? I don't know. I never thought about it before, but it makes sense now that you said it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Which would make Morgana and Morgoz doubly problematic as a shit. <laughs> I like how, how in the Morgana character episode, we came to the conclusion that people are allowed to ship Morgana and Morgos now because we proved that they aren't sisters. And now, yeah. two years later, we're like, no, actually. <laughs> it just became well, more taboo. Look, but, no, but the thing is, is that we are kind of told two conflicting pieces of information in this scene. And that's what annoys me about it. Because Gaius makes a point, a point of saying there is only one other person apart from Morgana, who would have cause to wear a bracelet with the House of Gorlois on it, which means that he is linking Morgana to the Gorlois name and Morgos, but we don't know if that's the marital name of Vivienne and Gorlois or the blood name Gorlois, which would just be from her father. It's very ambiguous, but he does make a point, like in the script, there's a point made of like, the bracelet belongs to the house of Gorlois and only these two women could possibly have cause to wear a bracelet like that. And therefore it proves that they're, that they're related. But then immediately after Uther jumps up and starts freaking out, which makes no sense because he's got nothing to do with the house of Gorlois. So again, it's just kind of, I think we can kind of read it ambiguously. It's never actually explicitly said, in the show which i find very odd that it's never actually brought up 
how they're related and by and by what person they just say the house right the house of Gorlois. it's very annoying <laughs> but you can read it either way millennials <laughs> if you want to read it that uh they have this uh that they uh are related by both mother and father you can because i think you can infer that from the canon if you want to read it that they're not related at all then you can um of course like i said it's just you have to take what Gaius knows to be true and pair it with what we also know to be true in the canon, which is kind of helpful to figure out because Gaius doesn't know all of the facts yet. So it's like Jerry Springer. <laughs> this is very exciting. <laughs> this is just trying to figure out what the hell's going on. But um, at the end of the day, I mean, they think that they're sisters and that's all that really matters. So, <laughs> but um, yay, Gaius backs. <laughs> yay backstory. <laughs> yeah so basically tell us in the comments please guys what you think is the truth if they are related if they're not related who they are related through and what your favorite ice cream flavor is please <laughs> that last one is especially well, important very important <laughs> just to add to the just to add to the flavor of the of the comment that would be great okay well, Rox, uh, you have persuaded me. I now think they're full blood sisters. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. I didn't it's... think so before, but your your logic is impeccable as far as I can tell. That's the first it's time a... in her life someone has said that to her. Oh, oh. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I have you know that. I, that's not the first time I went to university. <laughs> that means nothing. It does. <laughs> I learned lots of things. <laughs> The one with the fake out is what I've called next, but basically Arthur, you know, is he, is he going to die? Is he not I mean, going to die? Oh my God. He's going to die. <laughs> oh my God. Is this the end of the yeah, show? Yeah, at, at episode um, eight of season two. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, the one thing I will ask about this scene is, Arthur, what were you trying to achieve by putting your head on the block? Because if you die, you don't find out the truth. Yeah. So you really are I'm, gaining. I'm thinking Arthur <laughs> probably expected it to be a test. That's my only explanation, that he truly believed this would be a test and that he just had to live through it. Like, I want to believe that if she had actually killed him or, like, I, I forget, did she, did she actually lower the axe? And and stop just before. Okay, I was like maybe he was going to turn yeah, around. Like you can see that the axe is going down, but then the next frame is she's uh, resting um, the handle of the axe on the chopping block. Yeah, it's yeah. really yeah, really don't cleverly see, edited. You don't see the arc of the axe. No. Yeah. But yeah, so. Arthur is honorable to the end, and so he gets uh, uh, his three wishes. I mean, his one wish. Um, and it's uh, it, it all ends happily. Merlin, by the way, in this scene is very interesting. Like Merlin is a very good background character in this whole sequence because he's always doing something interesting with his face. And in this moment, you can tell that he's about to use his magic. Like he's about to actually mm. use his magic to save Arthur's life. Now, wouldn't that have been a plot twist? Mm. Oh, yeah. Like. Of all of the ways that, I mean, because I guess 
this is a good maybe time to ask this question but when you guys first watched this episode all the way back when in 2009 what did you think was going to happen like because we saw the promo when we saw Uther and Arthur fighting so we knew that something was going to but did you expect Igraine to show up and to tell him all this stuff because obviously I think like I don't think that the promo gave too much away necessarily but I'm but I'm just curious on your guys' opinions on like what you thought was going to happen when you were watching the sequence I thought Igraine was going to show up and tell Arthur the truth the mm-hmm. whole truth and nothing but the truth which we did not get so <laughs> Oh, denied yet again by the show. <laughs> I mean, we're used oh, to it gosh. by now, aren't we? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, uh, leading nicely into the one I've called the one that made all the fangirls cry, because it it was very emotional. Honestly, the thing that makes me emotional about this scene is actually what happens right at the beginning of it, when Morgos is preparing the ritual, and it's Merlin and Arthur talking in very hushed voices, like, in the background. And Arthur obviously asking, you know, uh, what if, you know, what if not all magic is evil? Morgos has, you know, been helping us and she's done nothing wrong. And Merlin's face, he goes, do you really believe that? And it's just, oh, no, oh, no, sorry. Arthur says, um, maybe it's not as simple as my father would have us believe. And then Merlin asks, do you really believe that? And then he says, Morgos has done nothing wrong so far. She's only tried to help us. And Merlin doesn't say anything. All he does is say, we don't actually know why she's doing this because he can't bring himself to actually believe that it could happen. Like that he's actually hearing these words with his own ears. And I'm just like, oh my God. (laughs) Like in that episode, season two, episode eight, Arthur was ready to accept magic into his life. Can you believe that? I can't believe that. That is so sad. Yeah. It took him until season five, episode five, to get to that point again. (laughs) And it's just like, oh, he was so, like, like not hurt yet at this moment by, like, what magic could do. And I'm just, oh, it's so sad. And, yeah, Merlin's little face when he realizes that, oh, my God, this could be the moment, but not yet. And, you know, of course, it it wouldn't happen for him. But, um... Oh, yeah, I've just put fuck off to that line because it <laughs> made me very sad. Um, Morgos then leads Arthur over and she starts chanting. I think her chanting is really pretty. I really like the way that she says her spells. It sounds kind of musical, which I really like. I like that they kind of try to make everyone's like magic chanting a little bit unique. I think that's really, really nice on the part of the show. And then Igraine shows up. So... I don't know if you guys want to talk about the emotion of the scene first and then debate second. Like, should we just kind of go for it? I don't really know how to tackle this. It's very sad, I guess. It's very emotional seeing Arthur that vulnerable. I mean, Alex, you're the Arthur fanboy here. Why don't you start us off with your feelings? Um, I don't actually have that many feelings. My my feelings are mostly, gosh, I love Alice Patton. Um, she's she's the actress who plays Igraine. Yeah, I love her so much. She's the lead actress in one of my favorite movies. So I'm just like, whenever I see her in one, I'm just like, hi. <laughs> um, I have more things of like, um, where, okay, this might just be you know Arthur not having enough information, but in the in the earlier scene when he and Merlin talked about their dead parents. 
um, he said, she died before I even opened my eyes. And Igraine, or whatever she is, in this scene, talks about how his eyes look the same as they did when she held him as a baby. Mm. And I'm just like, I mean, obviously, Arthur wasn't, you know, aware of his surroundings when he was yeah. a newborn. So it might just be something that was told to him that she never, that he never even opened her eyes in time for her to see them. And she died before he did. Um, but I feel like this is, I mean, I don't want to give the writers too much credit, to be honest. But it almost feels like having authors say that very specifically in the scene with Merlin. And then to have Igraine comment on how his eyes looked the same as they did when he was a baby. I'm just like, ooh, is this, is this a clue by the writers put in to tell us that this is not the real Ukraine, or is it just the writers not knowing what the fuck they're doing? So, yeah. Um, and then I think for what she says, um, is that I think that a lot of what she says is actually true, except for how Uther betrayed her i don't think that's true i think she and no. uther made this choice together and they didn't understand what the cost would be mm. um and i think that when Morgos said i know your mother or i knew her your mother i knew her very well i think that Morgos, like one possible theory i have is that Morgos actually did conjure the real ghost of ikraine and found out what really happened. And this is how she can say you are... I mean, she she's just saying you are like your mother. Because mm -hmm. who else is gonna... Who's gonna tell her she's wrong, right? Yeah. Arthur sure as fuck isn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, like, I think that... Because she needed it to be mostly true. Because otherwise, um, a lot of witnesses, including Gaius... Would have been able to to just tell Arthur, no, this is not actually what happened. Mogos was lying, but like because so much of what the the Igraine who appears before Arthur says is actually true. Um, yeah, off, it's easy for Arthur to believe it because no one can actually disprove the circumstances of his birth. Magic was used, and Igraine did die as a result of it. I think all of that is true. I think the only part that is a lie is that Uther forced her, or like, tricked her into it, which I don't think is true at all. But like, for Mogos to have found this out, she would have had to conjure the ghost of Igraine, or have heard the story from Nimoy, which, again, exactly. could, be, could be true, because she was raised by priestesses of the old religion. Um, and so she she created an image of Ygraine that looked like the real Ygraine and said a lot of things that the real Ygraine would have said, but weren't mm -hmm. actually exactly wasn't actually the real Ygraine. Because the thing about this is that Morgos obviously has a plan. She wants to break Arthur down. She definitely wants to make Arthur mistrust Uther or kill him or whatever. And so she needs to have some kind of information, a card that she can play. So when she invites him here, he gets told the information that she wants him to know, which, like you said, means that she has to already know. Like this is surely this Igraine person that's talking. This can't be the first time that Morgos is hearing this story. Like 
Because if it is the first time she's hearing this story, why the fuck is she inviting Arthur here? And what is she hoping to achieve if she didn't know this prior? So if she does know this prior, like you said, Alex, like I look, I know I'm coming from the point of view of an Uther stan. I get that. <laughs> but the way that Uther has spoken about Igraine throughout the show, the information that we've been given, I just don't buy it that he would outright do that. More importantly, actually, I don't. I, this is actually what really, I think, made me realize, no, this can't actually be the real grain. I might even be able to buy that in a then that in an instant of desperation, Uther might have gone behind a grain's back without knowing the true consequences. If he'd known that it would kill her, I don't think that he would have done anything. I definitely believe that he could have and probably did go behind her back. I don't think they went to Nimue together. I think he went to Nimue with the with the question, please help us conceive. And then Igraine would have been none the wiser and they would have had a son and everything would have been happy and he wouldn't have to worry Igraine. But I think that what really made me go no, I don't think Igraine, I don't think that the ghost of Igraine would be vindictive enough to, with the precious seconds she has with her son, turn him against his only living parent. Because she's not stupid. Like, she willingly says it's your father who should carry the guilt for what happened. Arthur doesn't bring up his father. It's a grain that brings him up. Then prompting Arthur to beg her to, you know, carry on that train of thought. When she then talks about the way that it happened and she says you were born of magic. And not only that, she doesn't stop there. She goes... um, uh, he betrayed me. She says uh, he uh, he sacrificed my life so that the dynasty could continue. And she's like, oh, now I would have given my life willingly if I saw you. It feels like she's piling it on so thick like this. These are not the words of a mother to her son. I'm sorry. Like, there's no way that this is the way that a mother would actually speak to her son if she knew that he had one parent left, that this was the only chance she would ever get to speak to him. Like, does anyone else call solid gold bullshit on that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I would disagree with you. Well, go for it. Go for it. Please okay. do. Okay. First of all, I think that it is the real grain because of the spell. The spell uh, asks that she come from the underworld. And if you're going to conjure up a false grain, that's not what the spell would say. It would say something completely different. Um. I think sometime, I think that Uther probably did go behind her back. He probably persuaded her that it would be okay, thinking that it was okay. But then when it was already started, you couldn't, you had to finish what you started and it went all really badly. Um, and if she's going to, if she was persuaded to do it because she thought that it would be fine and then, realized that maybe Uther was not telling her the whole truth. She might then blame him. Um, and the other thing is, uh, I know that we're not supposed to talk about episodes later, but when Uther... Oh, no, Uther, we are. We are. Okay. When the, <laughs> when the ghost of Uther comes back, and that's his real ghost, to talk to Arthur, he's a lot more vindictive and mean-spirited to Arthur. Um, so I think maybe being in the underworld may have made Igraine a less 
sympathetic a character. But I could Maybe. be persuaded. I could be persuaded otherwise for that. But I do think it's the real grain. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I could be persuaded that she's definitely had like a bit of a personality change. I think what yeah. makes. I just think that the way that she's talking, like it sounds to me, it just doesn't sound like it makes any sense because she says he he went to the sorceress Nimue with uh, to ask for help in conceiving a child. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, he knew. Oh yeah. Um. For a life to be given, a life must be taken. Your father knew this. And she says that. Now, this is the thing. If you were tricked into something and you didn't know it was happening and then you died from it, you wouldn't know of Uther's knowledge of anything because you're dead. Second of all, when Uther speaks to Nimue in Excalibur, he obviously looks broken. He's talking to Nimue and he says... um, don't speak of my wife that way. She was my heart, my soul, and you took her from me. And then she explains, you know, with a bit of exposition, you know, that is the price of magic for a life to be given. A life must be taken. And then Uther says, you knew it would kill her. Now, if he's saying you knew it would kill her, as though, no, no, you were keeping something from me. And then Igraine says, no, uh, uh, sorry, Nimue says, no, you're wrong. And then they argue over whether she knew or not. But, you know... I feel like Nimue would have come out with saying, no, I told you, you knew, you know, so I don't feel as though, like, I feel that conversation between Nimue and Uther can be much more believed than what's coming out of Igraine's mouth here, because why would Uther accuse Nimue of keeping information from him if he already knew? Like, I don't like that, like, it just, none of this makes any sense Uh to me. But yeah, I just think that there's, and look, again, it, it could just be writing, it could just be writing, but I think that the show has really tried up until this episode to give us the information that Uther didn't know what he was getting himself into. And then for a grain to outright as a ghost who mm-hmm. couldn't have known when she was alive, say, Oh no, he knew. Well, if he knew, then you must've known when you were alive. Like, how did you find out if you didn't already know? Like none of this makes any sense. And now I'm getting really angry. <laughs> I'm just getting very frustrated by all of this, and I wish that. And actually, I've changed my mind. I'm I'm with Alex on this. I don't like that we don't know the answer. <laughs> this is pissing me off. But yeah. Um. In any case, if this is the real Agrain, fuck her, because I'm just like honestly, like really, if this is the real Agrain, and these are the last precious seconds that you've got with your boy that you apparently would have died for willingly if you had the chance now you're going to use this chance to turn him against the the only father he's ever going to have who's whatever you know tried his best the best that he knows how with every and i'm just like no fuck you like i'm just i don't think it's the real i mean i don't if it is the real grain i don't think it's the real version of a grain that was alive when she was on earth because you know she was known to be like sweet and uh, you know uh honorable you know like that's where everyone says arthur got it from you know his he got his sweet nature and his heart from his mother i just this isn't something a kind-hearted person would do in my opinion but i don't know i would argue that this conception comes from the fact that she's the token female character who died to give a tragic backstory to a male character and she died in childbirth and so it's very easy for everyone to idealize her so we think she's all sweet and angelic she could do nothing wrong ever but then actually like people are very much nuanced 
they're not this model of angelic um, virtue that we have in our minds. So I don't really think that that argument could stand. Um, but at the same time, I've got a theory about uh, Igraine being like, is that really her ghost or is it just an illusion? Like she seems pretty much corporeal. And if we look at the translation of the summoning spell, like that, that's a body. Um, it's not an illusion. It's not really a ghost. And I have this head cannon. Like if you look at the cuts uh, in the scene uh, to more ghost concentrating, it looks like she's stepping in and controlling the conversation that Igraine is having with Arthur. And when um, when Igraine looks away from Arthur. Uh, she seems to be resistant to the command to tell something. And it's certainly not a coincidence that the moment Igraine tries to prevent a rift between Uther and Arthur, uh, it's the moment in which she disappears. So, like, it's like Morgos is trying to manipulate the conversation. Like, that's really Igraine. Mm -hmm. But the one who's uh, pulling the strings in that moment is Morgos. I like, like that. You don't see Morgos for the entirety of the scene. She's in the background. You don't know what she's doing. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I like that. I like that, yeah. And actually, well, look, when I first saw this episode, I thought Igraine was Morgos. Because Morgos is, has like a, uh, there's like a shot of her where she kind of, it kind of breathes in and like has her hands out and then Arthur opens his eyes and when, when uh, Igraine disappears Arthur has his eyes closed again and so I just am like I don't know if that's not just more ghost disguising herself either yeah but Mel is there like yeah the, that's uh, true that is true. That's, that's true yeah that's what I was thinking that Morgos is just um taking Arthur into a trance and making him see what she wants him to see, but Merlin is there witnessing the whole thing, so... It's true. God damn it, Merlin. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um... But in terms of the emotion, I mean, you know, can we just talk about the, the first thing Arthur says to his mother when he sees her for the first time is, I'm sorry. God, yeah. that I boy. Mean, <sighs> I know. He he's he he is good deep down, <laughs> just very deep down. He's a good boy. No, he is. No one is arguing that. Yeah. No, but it just sometimes you know when he likes to you know hit those of a lower class than him, you kind of just need reminding. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's just, uh, Arthur, please. This is the version of you that we stand, not to that one. But yeah, he is. This is the most vulnerable. I think we ever see Arthur in Merlin would you say in this scene he looks like he's about to fall asleep at any minute yeah he's okay. just kind of like dope like kind of dopey honestly he kind of looks like he's just smoked a joint he's just kind <laughs> of like like hey are you telling me I'm wrong <laughs> he looks exactly like it um he's slurring his words a bit obviously he's crying um and yeah it's just uh it's really really emotional but yeah oh gosh and then when he asked to fair to come back to bring her back because he wants to talk more and yeah do you know what fuck you more goes the the, the convenient the convenient i cannot 
Once the veil is closed, it's closed yeah, forever. That's, oh, is it indeed? That is <laughs> very convenient. Jesus Christ, man. She's so manipulative, like, it is an unforgivable betrayal. Oh! You know where you're headed to. Fuck you! <laughs> you're an unforgivable betrayal. Yeah, you're a betrayal. She's yeah. just... Oh, man. I'm surprised Merlin didn't just go all Nimue on her. <laughs> um, but yeah so that's that scene I mean is there anything else someone wants to talk about I mean oh the one thing that I will say again Merlin in the background once Nim uh, oh, fuck's sake I'm getting these sorceresses names all mixed up once more goes no once Igraine disappears and uh, it's more goes again and she's saying to Arthur oh it's an unforgivable betrayal oh no uh, she says um I'm so sorry that this is, you know, how I had to go to hear that your father is responsible for your mother's death. You know, it cuts to Merlin and he's got that because because up until this point, he's been very focused on Arthur and and watching Arthur to make sure that he's OK. And then when um, Morgo says that he's got this look on his face like he's really disgusted and obviously that then leads on to the scene he has with Gaius where he says, you know, I can't believe that Uther has killed so many people when he's used magic himself. And I think that's, that's the thought that's going through his head in that, in that moment. It doesn't last very long because then he starts looking at Arthur concerned again immediately after, but I'm like, Oh, Colin is so good. And also I guess I like, I haven't really mentioned the moment when Igraine actually says you were born of magic because and this is very difficult for me to remember sometimes, but we're so used to Merlin being the POV character. Merlin, who knows everything. Merlin, who is the narrator. And yet Merlin didn't know this. This is this is the first time Merlin is hearing it. We, the audience, knew more than he did in this scene. And so it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> He's also learning this for the first time. And the look on his face is like, what like you know not only am i supposed to keep my magic from arthur but i've now learned that arthur is essentially part magic like me like yeah. that must have been really tough for him yeah that's true yeah oh man so many layers but essentially merlin and arthur share what i can only assume is a very silent ride back to camelot i would not have liked to have been present during that journey i i i can't imagine that they exchanged a single word do you no no arthur doesn't even answer to any kind of question no. like it's just a silent fury he has a goal he's determined and no one can stop him in the moment no um not at all they like they probably didn't even stop for camp they probably didn't stop for any yeah i mean i don't know if they stopped like they probably just because it's night time by the time no i think they just rode through the night and got there first thing in the morning because it's night time when more goes does the um does the ritual so they probably just like rode straight through the night or if they did sleep i doubt they talked like they just probably just went to sleep and but i can't imagine arthur would have been able to sleep much if he did stop it would have probably just been so merlin could sleep <laughs> and that was it but yeah um eek. uh so they come back to Camelot and then um, Merlin and Gaius have a have a scene. I mean, I don't I don't have that much to say about this, except for the fact that Gaius, uh, 
the reasoning he gives for not telling Merlin, uh, it's not because he wanted to keep it a secret for Uther's sake. No, he just says, I, I feared what would happen if Arthur ever found out because he knows Merlin can't keep anything from Arthur. <laughs> 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 just like, you two are such disasters. I'm not telling you anything that I need to keep secret from that boy. So that kind of made me chuckle a bit. I was like, okay, guys, you know them very well. But, um, okay. This one doesn't even have a scene title. I just called it The One. Yeah. Because, oh, oh, man. Arthur walking in and looking like he just is like he just breathes like he like he's not even talking. He's just breathing. And Uther's like, care to explain? I don't really know what's going on. And then when he says, I know what you did to my mother, Uther, Utherism number five, he just goes, leave us. No one is to enter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, just to, like, you know, leave it to Anthony to make me laugh during a scene like this, because he really did. Uh, and it doesn't stop there. Uh, you you will not be surprised to hear, because he says, what are you talking about? And then Arthur tells him exactly what's happened. And then Alex, I think this is actually where that line came in, where he goes, did Will Ghost tell you this? She's lying. It just like goes off to this like she's lying, and I'm just like I tell you what, Uther has got bigger guts than I do because I would not be able to keep my cool if my son was looking at me like that, telling me things that I knew were true. <laughs> so I would oh yeah, to keep my cool. Um, and then uh, this is where he goes. This is what fuels your hatred for those that use magic. Rather than blame yourself, you blame them. And then Uther um, says, the, the other hilarious is like, oh, you would believe a sorcerer's lies over the words of your own father. I can only assume that Morgos has enchanted you, <laughs> which, of course, but to be perfectly fair, you know, if Uther didn't know that this was the truth, you know, it kind of, I am, mm, no, I'm not, I, I'm not surprised because Arthur is a very emotional person. But do you not think that there maybe should have been at least a little part of Arthur that might have gone Actually, to be fair, this is someone I've just met like yesterday and she is a sorceress and I know not to trust sorcerers. And how do I even know this was really my mother? Like he doesn't really think about any of these things. He just takes them at face value rather than trusting. Yeah. The word of his own father. Yeah, I think this, seems... this is where the um, where the part of author's personality comes in that's painfully Gryffindor. Where he just takes things at face value and storms in, not really thinking about anything before before making his decision. <laughs> like this is the secondary. That, that, yeah. That's really that's really where the Gryffindor in here. Like I was thinking that when I watched the scene, I was like, this is where Arthur is being really Gryffindor more than he is normally Slytherin because he's just like, no, no, I saw the ghost of my mother. She hugged me and told me I have pretty eyes, and now I need to kill my father. <laughs> That 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 Slytherin primary Gryffindor secondary is coming in very strong right now. You do not want that. Com you do not want the combination of someone that puts their people first with the secondary of someone that charges like a lion because that is not going to end well for you. Exactly. And well, we have Arthur Pendragon, and look what happens when you mess with his people. Exactly. Ooh. So. But yeah, but yeah, but to be fair, I am kind of backing Uther in this moment if I didn't know that he was actually kind of in the wrong, that he's just like, oh, you would believe a sorcerer's lies. Like, actually, Arthur, yeah, maybe, maybe just take a second. <laughs> he's such a teenager. Oh my God. Um, and 
Arthur throwing the gauntlet down, which I, again, I always look for something new in Merlissen that I didn't notice before. And this was the first time in this episode that I actually noticed something for the first time. And it was the symmetry to Morgos throwing down the gauntlet, yeah. which I completely missed yep. um, at first. And the angle at which that is shot, where it's right from the right from the ground, just to break up the scene is so, it, you know, it also gives us the impact that it's really a big deal and again I love that we had more goes do it at the beginning so now it's actually full circle and we know how serious it is just in case you haven't seen Excalibur <laughs> so it's you know yeah. for those people that actually just watch Merlin casually like imagine um <laughs> I don't know uh and yeah Anthony just really selling how big of a deal this moment is like can we just take a minute to praise him in this Oh, sure. I'm always up for Anthony praising. I just, he is unbelievable and just trying to talk Arthur down and not like being mad at him necessarily. Just like, you know, I implore you, think about what you're doing. And Arthur just repeating, pick it up, pick it up. And I'm just like, oh, God, (laughs) it's so painful. And then um, when he says, if you refuse to defend yourself, I will strike you down where you stand. He Bradley gives like this little kind of tearful gulp. And I'm just like, you two in this scene together are just, I mean, Bradley, that he can go toe to toe with a legend like Anthony in this scene. I mean, he is really, really good. You guys, he is incredible. Um, yeah, and so what I really love about this is that we don't actually have any music. It, like in this first little bit, Arthur swings for Uther, and then he kind of half-heartedly is defending himself. And um, all you have is just the sound of the swords, and Uther saying, "Arthur, stop this! Arthur, stop this!" And then we don't get music until Uther actually loses his temper a bit and swings for him, which is obviously the moment where you know the fight actually changes, and Uther's like, "Okay, shit, I might actually have to fight him." And the fight is just so good. And like Uther, like having to duck out of the way of the sword, which didn't Bradley actually hit him around the head at one point when they were filming this. (laughs) I think he says it once on a talk show. He's like, I like actually whacked Anthony head round the head. (laughs) And and then I just like started panicking and I heard this girly giggle that he has coming from behind (laughs) me. (laughs) Which I can hear in my head right now. Oh, God, Anthony's just like the polar opposite of Uther. How did he manage to pull off this character? I have no oh, idea. but it's just he's an incredible actor. He really is. But, like, physically he embodies him so well. But just, like, personality, I'm like, it's, there's just nothing of Uther in you. It's it's unbelievable. Pink DS. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so the kind of slow motion that kicks in when Arthur actually pushes him down into the seat and like kind of it slows down a bit and I'm like you guys know how I feel about slow mo and I'm just very excited about it it's just such a good fight really isn't it <laughs> it's really yes. good I mean so does anyone want to talk about like the fight part of the scene because because in a minute we're going to move into the really heartbreaking bit um is there anything else anyone appreciates or or doesn't like about the fight I mean please please do a say anything I, negative I really just I have something that I like. I like that um, Uther basically goads Arthur into striking him and then Arthur does it and Uther has his last minute block with his sword and then the way he looks like 
holy crap, he really did try to kill me. That there's a look on his face that's like so disbelieving, but also relieved that he was able to react in time to block the to block the strike. It's just, oh, wow. Yeah. That cuts deep, like emotionally. It does. Uh, emotionally. <laughs> I love that. Well, I, I love how you like it cuts deep. What else, how, how else? Physically? I mean, I mean, <laughs> they were playing with swords. It could have cut them literally, but this is. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. They when it cut you emotionally i was I like mean, well, how else yes, is it gonna cut yes, you up it cut me emotionally and it could <laughs> have cut them literally but um yeah and what i also i mean i i kind of read it like similar but different in that yeah i think well i think he expected arthur to swing for him because he already had the sword so i think that he knew that arthur would actually go for it and so i think that kind of like shocked look is yeah, part shock. Oh, God, he did it also part shock that it just surprised him and he had to react. But he does this kind of sigh right afterwards that I'm kind of a bit like, it almost makes me feel like he's like, ah, oh, yeah, he's my son. <laughs> I mean, that's I fair. That's the same thing. <laughs> I would have done Because he's like, I don't want to fight you. <laughs> he's just kind of like, I'm tired of this shit. <laughs> Like, it makes me wonder, you know what, maybe this isn't the first time this has happened. Imagine a toddler Arthur just throwing a gauntlet down <laughs> because he just told him to go wash his hands or something. Oh, I don't know. I want someone to write that. <laughs> that would be so cute. So what I liked about the fight scene is the way it kept upping the, uh, the emotion and the intensity yeah. of it. It's just, you're, you're, my heart was in my throat the entire time. But you could see how Arthur kept getting more and more determined and Uther, in a way, not believing it until the final start of the fight. It just yeah. really worked for me very well. It was, yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Marky, do you have anything to add to that part of the scene? Just a little detail that I noticed ever since I started the stuff. Like, his pupils are so dilated in the close-ups. Like, he's really in predator mode. Mm. And it's just, yeah, it's something that struck me, but it's just a tiny detail. But the fact that that's Bradley's pupils, like, he must have, like, yeah, just really yeah. in, like, you know, cause that's, because that's not something you can, fa- I mean, maybe they did, I mean, I doubt they spent their effects budget on that. The lighting, yeah. Maybe? I mean, it, I mean, the more light there is, the less your pupils dilate. So I guess maybe he was just that into the scene, which is amazing. Amazing. We love Bradley. Um, and then we get to the... Oh, my God. Okay. I'm going to try my best to get through this without crying. Okay. So Merlin runs into the room and begs Arthur to stop. And what I really love about this is that he kind of he starts by trying to appeal to Arthur's like you know logic which obviously isn't necessarily working and Arthur saying things that Merlin literally has been waiting since the beginning of season one to hear saying he has killed those that have used magic and yet he's used it himself you've caused so much pain and suffering I'm going to put an end to it this is something that Merlin has literally been screaming for all the while the show has been airing. And instead of letting it happen, what does he do? <laughs> he just says Morgos is lying. And honestly, I can't, like, 
I'm kind of annoyed at myself that I didn't pick this scene for like my favorite Colin acting moments, but I just think because I don't rewatch this episode that much anymore, it was hard for me to remember it. But the way that he says those words, more goes is lying. It is like it took everything out of his body to say that. And then he carries on and he says, that wasn't your mother. You saw that was an illusion. And then he has a line where he tries to say everything that your mother said to you was a lie, but he can't like he can't finish the sentence the first time round. Like he stops and he needs to take a breath. Oh, my God. <laughs> like I can't I can't actually express what this scene means to me. Like, I think that, you know, Merlin has done a lot of things for Arthur over the course of the show, but I still even to this day, like with all the five seasons that have come out, I think this scene is the most selfless thing that Merlin ever actually did for Arthur. And he even tells Gaius at the end of these, at the end of the episode where he did it, he said, Arthur would never have been able to forgive himself if he'd gone through with it. There was nothing in it for Merlin to stop Arthur from killing his dad. He did it just because he couldn't bear to see him in pain. And I'm just really not okay with this information <laughs> someone take over because i'm getting very emotional actually i was quite angry with merlin really yeah oh yeah hey, oh okay but share why because that's really interesting to me um merlin lies all the time mm -hmm. and he has reasons to be lying and i think that he could have couched it in such a way that he wouldn't have said that Morgos was lying, that that wasn't his mother, but that for the good of the kingdom, he couldn't kill the king. He could make him uh, rescind the magic ban. Um, but because he's so invested now in Arthur, rather than in saving magic or magical people or himself, actually, he his whole focus is Arthur now, and that just drives me crazy. Yeah. yeah but he also had to exercise quick thinking. Adam, like, it's an emergency, and he has to prevent the worst thing to happen. So I don't really know if he was in a state of mind to be able to come to those conclusions. Mm. Well, the the thing is, if they're if they're riding back all night long, Merlin obviously knows that Arthur is pissed, and that he's he's going to go and confront Uther, and it may get really really bad. So he theoretically, Merlin isn't always the smartest bulb in the pack. Um, he may have he might have thought it through and tried to figure out what to do in order to prevent Arthur from killing his father, because it really looked like Arthur was going to kill his father, even when he left Morgos. So I can understand why you would say that, that, that it's, it's yeah, yeah. the thing of the moment, but I'm not so sure it was the thing of the moment. I think Merlin was just being an idiot. Mm. Sorry, I think, I yeah, I think it definitely was like, yeah I think you're right that it just kind of came to him he really didn't think it through like I I honestly don't think he was thinking it through much to be honest with you yeah. how he could mitigate the problem I think that he was just thinking about what because you know 
think about it he might not have been thinking that they would make it to camelot at all he might have been scared the entire journey if i don't keep my eye on arthur he's just gonna go and ride off the nearest cliff like you know because he's uh, because he just had enough you know so i just feel like maybe he wasn't even thinking about what happened when when they got to camelot also as we saw when he got back to camelot merlin is also pretty shaken by this because everything he thought he knew about uther and by extension arthur it's all different like his whole worldview along with arthur's is completely shattered he now knows that arthur was born because of something that arthur might kill him for if he ever found out you know what i mean so it's like that's pretty much like that's a big deal if what i think is correct that there was a cut scene with kilgara at some point maybe he was thinking about what he's gonna ask the the dragon maybe he was thinking hang on maybe Morgos really was lying i don't know um i definitely ah now i really want to know if there was a cut scene because i when i first saw the episode i thought merlin saying Morgos is lying might have actually been the truth like that he was actually saying something he knew to be true because he he seems calm when he comes into the you know and he's like uther used magic da, 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 da. he knows that Igraine accused him of essentially killing her and then imagine he goes to the dragon and he says was this true and the dragon is like i mean sort of but not really <laughs> like it did really happen like that like he definitely didn't do it on purpose like i remember i was there and merlin has this realization oh shit Arthur knows the wrong information and he's about to kill his dad. Hence then the frantic running up the stairs to try and get to him. And in his head, he's realizing as he's saying these words, Oh no, I might be telling him the truth, but at the same time, it's going to make him hate magic again. So, and again, this is going off of a very long shot that, 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 that this scene even happened. But um, I think that if it did, it definitely might kind of answer why he didn't really think much on the journey to Camelot about what he might say, because if it ended up being the truth, you know, cause he has that moment where he's like, am I really going to tell him? Am I really going to tell him? Like almost like he has the choice to be like, no, I shouldn't. I should just let him do it. But no, he deserves to know. But he knows that it's going to affect his life. Like, no, I'm going to be worse off if Arthur actually finds this out. Because it just seems like, like you said, Diane, he could have said anything, right? But he right. chose to say Morgos is lying. And we already have our suspicions that Morgos might be lying. So it's a very interesting thing for them to give Merlin to say, rather than say something like, hey, left the ban on magic. <laughs> so I don't know. Did Merlin's declaration give any of you guys more fuel to the theories of your fire that maybe Igraine wasn't or that she was cracked up to be? No. no. Like Mer- Really? Mer- that was... Okay. Well, Merlin doesn't know either way, does he? He's just saying what he thinks he needs to say in order to make Arthur stop killing his father. Mm-hmm. Like, Merlin, Merlin doesn't know whether or not... Like, from what we've seen... Like from what made the final cut, we don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like Merlin, Merlin doesn't know whether the grain they saw was real or whether she wasn't. Like there's no, there's no telling. Yeah. What's what's the truth? Which brings us back to no one knows. 
<laughs> Apart from probably Morgos, who at least knows whether or not the Ygrain she conjured is the real Ygrain or not. Um, so, like, Merlin is only saying, is saying what he thinks he needs to say in order to make Arthur stop killing people. Yeah. Uh, it's so interesting because part of me agrees and part of me is like, I think Merlin knows more than he's letting on. I don't know why, but it feels like maybe there's something about, because he's also magic, maybe he could sense that there was something not right. I don't know. It just feels like a very specific thing for him to say when we're already doubting. Like, if three of us here are doubting whether Igraine is real, then other people watching must have been doubting too. And right. so it's like... And then and then to have the only other magical character come out and say, oh no, this was an illusion, to me that just felt too much of a coincidence. But it is a very odd episode in terms of the information that we're given. <laughs> so I completely am like, yeah, you know, it could be anything. But yeah, so would you say, Diane, that yeah. this is the moment that Merlin's focus really did start to shift towards Arthur more permanently? Because yes. obviously we do say that, you know, it happened at some point. This is obviously very early. So do you think yes. this is when it started? Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, there's actually a moment when Arthur um, kind of collapses onto the floor where Merlin looks back at Gaius as if to be like, did I do the right thing? And it's really sad. Oh, this entire scene. Arthur just like because he's been holding his breath, obviously, like for most of this and screaming. And he just like is panting and like can't catch his breath. And he keeps saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And Uther you know, isn't angry with him. Like, he's not angry that his son literally was about to run him through. And um, I guess let's talk a bit about Uther and what he says to Arthur. Because Uther, because Arthur, you know, kind of takes Merlin's word at face value and then he says, uh, swear to me you are not responsible for my mother's death. Give me your word. And Uther says, I swear on my life, I loved your mother. There isn't a day that passes that I don't wish that she was still alive. I could never have done anything to hurt her. Uh-huh. So <laughs> just trying to figure out what that means. <laughs> I'm trying to, like, I feel like that was the show trying to give us an answer without really giving us an answer. I guess, what do you guys think of that answer? I, I think that's just oh. crap. <laughs> See, I, fair I, enough. I, See, I think it's genuine. I think that in that moment, Uther is saying the truth because he's in a he's now emotional. He's become emotional because his son, his only son, his only child, the only living thing he has left of Igraine is trying to murder him. And this is <laughs> and this is this is rightfully making him emotional. <laughs> so, so and he realizes that he needs to give Arthur something real, something truthful about himself and the way he feels about losing Ikerain. I feel like, like my impression is that Uther in that moment is very much saying the truth. And that is why I can believe that what we saw of Ikerain when Morgos conjured her, her is not entirely the real Igrain. Like I like Marky's theory that it was the real Igrain, but Magos was controlling her to some degree. 
or even making her say things that she otherwise wouldn't have said. And I think proof, like, I feel like this scene with Uther, where he's very emotional, almost, almost crying is, is the proof we have for that. And I think he never answered Arthur's question. And that's really (laughs) dubious to me. Yeah. He didn't really answer it, did he? No, he didn't. He came from a very emotional part. He probably did love the grain quite a bit. Um, he, he also probably didn't want to blame himself for what happened. And he killed a whole lot of people because of guilt. And he didn't answer the question. So there you are. I mean, the thing is, is that... Um, oh, crap. I really didn't write down the dialogue for this. And this was really short-sighted of me. Um, when Arthur comes into the room, he says, I know what you did to my mother. You used magic to... To, to have an heir and she died. Da, 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 da. I don't actually think he says, oh, you knew that it would kill my mother and you used magic anyway. I actually don't oh. think he says that. Now, Uther knows, obviously. Like, I'm not saying Uther isn't, like, responsible in some way. And Uther definitely feels responsible, hence the guilt murdering spree. But I think that... um what's really vital in this scene is the information Arthur gives because what Uther is reacting to in this moment, I think is he's reacting to Arthur telling him you used magic to, uh, to give birth to me and my mother died as a result and it's your fault. And that is already what Uther believes. And in some way that is the truth. What isn't necessarily the truth is the very important piece of information that we were given in Morgoz's ritual, which is that Uther did this on purpose. He sacrificed a grain on purpose, which is not what Arthur says. He doesn't actually say that. He just tells us things that Uther already knows to be true. So when he says, uh, you are not responsible for my mother's death, give me your word, I don't think Uther is reading into that the same way that we as the audience are, because that's not the way Arthur's phrased it. He's reading it into, you know, him saying, you're not responsible for my mother's death. Give me your word. And he's and he's saying the truth is like, I could never have done anything to hurt your mother. I love her. And yeah, I think he does feel guilty, but it's not I, like I just think it was phrased I mean, weirdly. And I mean, I, I pulled up the the transcript of the yes, of the scene. Amazing. So off, like Good. you said, Arthur says, "Swear to me it isn't true. You are not responsible for my mother's death. Give me your word." And Uther replies, "I swear on my life, I loved your mother. There isn't a day passes that I don't wish that she were still alive. I could never have done anything to hurt her." Which I think answers the question Arthur asks. Yeah, so it kind of, again, I think this was actually, actually, I think what we really stumbled across is a bit of a misstep on the part of the writers who told us, the audience, a very valuable piece of information, but neglected to relay it to Uther. So, <laughs> so Arthur, Alex, can you do me a favor and read, uh, read from the transcript what Arthur says when he enters the room? From, from I know what you did to my mother. Yeah, Arthur says, I know what you did to my mother. Um, Uther sends Leon out and tells him no one is to enter. Then he asks, what are you talking about? You were so desperate for an heir, you were prepared to use magic. And then Uther says, did Morgos tell you this? She's lying. She's lying. <laughs> and then Arthur says, 
My mother is dead because of your selfishness and arrogance. Her blood is on your hands. And Uther replies, no, that's not true, but Morgos would have you believe that. But but there's no mention of Uther willingly sacrificing Egrain, which is what Egrain told Arthur. So Arthur doesn't act, he doesn't say that. He doesn't, so, so in a way, all he's doing is playing on Uther's already present guilt that we already knew about from Nimue. And so the writer's kind of fucked up, in a way. <laughs> Arthur has a, has a has a line. You heard what my mother said. After everything he has done, do you believe he deserves to live? Exactly. Arthur says you heard what my mother said, but he doesn't repeat it. <laughs> he yeah. doesn't repeat it. So, really, we will never know because Uther didn't even have a chance to um, debunk what Igraine said because he never heard it. Yeah, exactly. Which is mm-hmm. so annoying. I've never <laughs> ever noticed that until we've just sat down to talk about it. For the love of God. There you go, Diane. I think that might have answered the query that we're having as to Uther's uh, strange response as a nothing response. He's he's kind of responding to the exact question Arthur asked. And I had Arthur asked, did you willingly sacrifice my mother? I can probably imagine Uther's response would be, hell no. <laughs> but unfortunately, that's not what he said. God fucking damn it. So you had one job. You had one job. But um, yeah, Uther kisses the top of Arthur's head and then I subsequently died. And it's <laughs> very sad. I just anytime Uther being physically affectionate with Arthur is just very important to me because it never happens. And I'm just like, it's just so beautiful. <laughs> and Merlin just watching from the sidelines being sad. And then we have... Okay, what did I call this? I call this the one that sent me into a spiral of pain. And that is because I cannot count how many times I have vidded this scene, this moment, which is Arthur saying, I am indebted to you, Merlin. I had become confused. It is once again clear to me that those who practice magic are evil and dangerous. And that is thanks to you. I can't cope. And Merlin, by the way, who has probably already cried quite a lot at this point, comes in to do his chores and he just kind of looks up and smiles and goes, glad I could help. And then the smile falls in the same kind of way that it did in Nightmare Begins when he's just like, wouldn't dream of it. And then the smile falls. (sighs) I'm not dealing with it very well (laughs) it's honestly though it's just such a perfect tragedy in a way you know like the entire arc of this episode of merlin being literally this close to getting what he wants and giving it up essentially giving it up willingly like no one forced him to do it he made the decision to put arthur's happiness before his happiness and i'm just like yep it's very tragic and very sad. But I guess, hey, what do you think would have happened if Arthur had killed Uther? Would it have made Arthur a better king? Would he have uh, gotten rid of the ban on magic or would it have turned him hateful? I guess that's the question. Ooh. <laughs> I, think, I think he would have gotten rid of the ban on magic because... Um, 
of the the scene where he's saying that you've caused so much pain and suffering and he's not the kind of person that would want to cause his people to be have pain and suffering so i think he would have gotten rid of the ban on magic i'm not sure it would have been a necessarily good thing because you got more ghosts you've got a number <laughs> of really bad um sorcerers which we really really need like prequel scenes to find out just how bad it really was. I mean, was magic wonderful and, and, you know, unicorns flopping everywhere or was it high priestesses putting formora in people, the back of people's throats and, and that kind of thing. Diane, you're speaking my language. (laughs) No, but we're never going to. Prequel. Yeah. We're never going to get that. So there's just so many things that we don't know about, Uther's past and Gaius's past and we are essentially just kind of hearing the story from like second and third generation perspectives and yep. it's like yeah. huh, it's so, and this is why I've always like I, I like this is why I kind of take it with a grain of salt because I'm like guys we don't know we weren't there even in the sins of the father which was supposed to give us the answers we still don't know anything Right. So just write your head cannons and whatever. Like, honestly, I feel like the Uther hate in the fandom has gotten way less over time. I think his death definitely redeemed him a lot. Um, but at the time, I remember it was like being an Uther fan was hard work, man. It was just really difficult. Um, people really didn't like him at all. And uh, yeah, I just say just actually t- yeah. just use your brain, use your own logic, like, and take a look at what the show gives you because it's all biased information. It's very interesting. I I think if Uther had died, if Arthur had killed him, it would weigh on his soul the entire time. Oh, yeah. (gasps) Which brings us, sorry for interrupting, but it would weigh on his soul. Yeah. It would weigh on his soul. The battle for your soul is about to begin. The battle for his soul. (laughs) <laughs> you're a riot <laughs> no one has called me a riot before I kind of like it <laughs> however I think it, besides that I think he would have been a pretty good king and I think Merlin probably would have been better off if Luther had died personal ooh controversial is it though <laughs> Especially, especially since I really love Uther as a villain. So for me, Uther being in the show was just wonderful. Yeah. Every Anthony had scene was, oh, I loved it. I think that Uther and Arthur probably never really saw completely eye to eye, but I think that Arthur would not have been ready to be king without his father around that's just my opinion i think that he like if like if uther had died say in to kill the king you know like which is only you know like a negligible amount of time prior to this episode really he would have really struggled i think and regardless of what ever a negative impact uther has on arthur's life i think that he's still a parent figure and he's still for, like in Arthur's eyes, a very important one, and to have that taken away from him, especially if he was the one to do it, I think that would have really been difficult for him. I think like 
Merlin said he would have never been able to forgive himself. Who knows? Maybe he would have ended up being just like Uther and going into kind of like a rage spiral with his own guilt, you know? So yeah, that would have been his, his fate. Who knows? But that was not his fate because Merlin did the Merlin thing and did the sad selfless act thing. And uh, the one that we have after this, uh, after the glad I could help scene uh, is the one I, I can't even remember what I called it. Cause I don't have my you called it. The my... one with the only Uther and Merlin scene, which is a lie because we had another Uther and Merlin scene in Excalibur. Oh, yeah, in Excalibur. I always forget about that one. I don't know why. <laughs> um, I think it's because this one's in Merlin's house, and I'm like, this is so weird. Like, Uther's been there, like, twice in the last two weeks. He, does he just, is he, like, bored? Does he need a change of scenery? I don't know. Clearly. He's just kind of loitering and picking things up and whatever. Um, to me, this was a bit of a pointless scene, just kind of to reiterate the irony of Merlin saving Uther's life, I guess. I hope Leon got the exact same treatment from Uther, seeing as he was also witness to whatever happened in that room. <laughs> he was just like, I will have you hanged if you say anything. And it's like, I hope that Leon also got this uh, degrading comment, not just Merlin, but um, yeah. Does anyone know why this scene is in the episode? Just maybe to launch a thousand fix? I don't know. I think maybe to reiterate the fact that uh, Uther is the villain. Diane, <laughs> you need what? to stop with it. I love that Uther is the villain. Sorry, that's where it's I'm the going. Hero. He's the protagonist. Aren't we watching the same show? Clearly not. <laughs> Clearly not. Um, yeah, to, to emphasize that Uther and Merlin are in diametric opposites yeah. and that Uther has a lot of control over Merlin. And yet Merlin allows that because if Merlin just let his magic out, Uther would be like dust in the wind. So he would be yeah. just. So I, I think it's just to emphasize the dynamic between the two of them and the that magic is still hidden and there's still the threat. That's true. That's true. And it's also to lead us nicely into the mandatory Merlin Gaius ending scene, because of course we need to have a slightly comedic moment, even though something very, very tragic just happened. And oh, I'm so sick yeah. of it. I will say though, it's kind of worth it for Gaius's face when he sees the leaving. <laughs> <laughs> what was my husband so doing here? <laughs> He thinks he's cheating on him. With Merlin. But, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's uh, just his face. Like, the eyebrows have never been high. He's like, was that Uther I just saw leaving? He's just like, yes, Gaius, he's been here twice. Um, I'd like to just say, I really didn't like the last scene. The one with Morgos or the one with Uther? Uh, with, oh, fuck it. Um, yeah, Merlin and Gaius and yeah. joking around. I just, it was not appropriate at all. Uh, of course. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Marky yeah. and Marky hates the ending and hits you like. Oh, no, I really don't like it. Yeah, it's stupid. Just yeah. stop watching before the ending. It's fine. <laughs> um, just one last thing that bothers me a little. Um, like this is ostensibly the the episode that is all about Arthur's mum, and yet her role in this episode is just to cause disruption to relationships between men. 
that's just it. Yeah. This is just the final consideration. But yeah. Yeah, that is true and very disappointing. But honestly, I didn't expect anything else from the Merlin Riders yeah, in yeah, 2009. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, disappointed but not surprised. Yeah. Oh, I will say though that Morgana and Morgos have a scene together. I don't think they talk about any dudes. Do you, yeah, that's that might hang on. Let me let me check. It might actually be that they passed the that this episode for a change passed the um Bertel test. Oh, and technically Gwen and Morgana, when she wakes her up, they don't talk about dudes. They just say, "I can't believe the last time I slept so well." Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, I wrote those down. So um, Morgana and Gwen talk about Morgana and about sleeping through the night and Morgana and Morgos talk about dreams and like their general introductions. So they have the Bechtel test was passed twice in this episode. But to be fair, in the entire season, the Bechtel test gets like if we count this episode as one, there's only one other episode that passes it, which was The Nightmare Begins in which Morgana and Gwen talk about leaving Morgana alone in her room. <laughs> so, Diane, where can we find you on social media if you want people following you? Uh, it's archaeologist underscore D uh, on LiveJournal, um, uh, Tumblr, uh, Dreamwidth. It's archaeologist1 on Twitter. And AO3, uh, archive of our own, it's archaeologist underscore D. Okay, awesome. Marky? I'm Justin Tumblr and Pillow Thought, and my username is always the same. Uber the neighbor now. I am uh, Miss Snowfox and Miss Snowfox Cosplays on Instagram, and also Miss Snowfox on Tumblr. It has an extra X, so remember that. And I'm also very active on Discord. So you can come say hi if it's in the Merlison Discord or any other one that I'm in. Just come chat to me. All good. Awesome. I'm Momotastic on AO3 where I post fanfic and Momo Pods on AO3 where I post podfic. And you can also find me on Tumblr as Creative Aguso or Momotastic27. Our theme music was composed by Sidesteppings exclusively for Merlison. Any other sound effects in this episode come from freesound.org. The manhub on our cover was made by Brolin's Keep and the cover was made by me. And next time we will be talking about another fanfic genre. We will be talking about epic fanfics with Ruth and Michelle from the Destiny and Chicken podcast. And it's going to be fun because we already recorded this so we know. We've already <laughs> recorded it. Alright guys, talk to you next time. I'm Momotastic. And I'm Miss Snowfox. And our guests were Archaeologist D and Marky, also known as Über dem Nebelmeer. Bye! Bye! Bye, guys! <laughs>